to the Book of Majora, the podcast where we talk about the lore of the Legend of Zelda series of video game products. I'm your host, Kristen, with me is Monica. Hello. And Cameron. Hi. This is part six of five of our series on the Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword, the best game ever made. Yeah. We did it. Best game ever made. Last we left off, we were sailing around with Skipper on his boats through the Great Sand Sea. Now, this boat works by shifting the time in a sphere around itself to a thousand years in the past, so that although in the distance you can see nothing but sand, around your direct vicinity is the ancient ocean. It's a very cool effect. It's cool. In some ways, it's probably the coolest area of the game. It's really relaxing, too. The music's great. Yeah. I think that I used the sailing music as the outro for part five of five. I don't know what I'm going to do for part six of five. The ship definitely pulls from the previous ship iterations where you have a little bomb cannon. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It feels in some ways like the natural evolution of ship mechanics in Wind Waker, at least partially because you don't sail. This is a motorboat. Yes. Do you think there will ever be a Zelda game where you do not sail a boat, you sail a ship? Um, I want to say probably not, but who can really say that far in the future? That would require a lot of people. If there was one Zelda game a year, then I think that yes, eventually they would hit upon that. But given how rarely Zelda games come out, relatively speaking or at least full-fledged console-sized Zelda games, I don't think we're going to get a full ship anytime soon. Assassin's Creed 4-4, Wind Waker 2. Like, (laughs) Phantom Hourglass doesn't count for this, right? Linebeck's ship isn't a ship in the way that that you mean. that is a boat. You mean like a galleon. You mean a tall ship. Yeah, like Assassin's Creed 4, Black Flag. (coughs) And there are ships in Odyssey too, right? Yeah, but they're not as good. Because they don't have cannons, and they're not tall ships. They don't have mortars. They don't have grape shots. They have battering rams, right? Yeah. They don't have guns. Do oh. they have that ancient fire stuff? Yeah, do they have oil? Yeah, there's there's fire. Hmm. See, that's a good thing to throw on people and watch them burn to death because it's Assassin's Creed and human life is cheap. Yeah, but Zelda, you can have, you know, the, the, the volumetric smoke and the booming of the cannons. That's true. Yeah, a Zelda game that does full-on ship combat would be cool, but it also is, like, it countermands the loneliness of Zelda games. Like, to run a tall ship, you need a crew. Unless you have a ship rune on your Sheikah Slate. So it's just like a robot ship? Yeah. A fully automated robot? Yeah, okay, sure, I would love that shit. What if it was, like, Metal Gear Solid Five Peace Walker? where you could non-lethally kill people and recruit them to your crew. You mean that whole thing where Big Boss kind of enslaves them? Right, where he sends them to be reconditioned by Revolver Ocelot. My goodness. Shalashaska. You didn't know this? No, I, I generally vaguely knew of it, but... Yeah, they're tortured until they agree to work for Big Boss. That's... And that applies to everyone that you recruit. That's terrible. It's... It's a, it's a game in which you engage in morally questionable activities basically all the time. Oh, I, I would go further than questionable. I would say Big Boss is a terrorist. I am saying morally questionable to highlight that it is actually much more than that. Oh, it's like understatement. Understatement. <laughs> One of those. I don't think Nintendo would ever 
feature that many characters. No, no. <laughs> That's why I'm thinking, like, what if the tall ship that you're driving is actually your sidekick? It's or like if the it king was of your Re- master cycle. It's like the king of red lions. Oh. Only he's got like thirty cannons, and you use him to do battle with moblin ships. How many people do you need to run the ship? A crew of about twenty minimum. Yeah. Okay, let's say there were like twenty side quests. Oh, and after each side quest, you got you recruited the side quest giver to your ship. Does, okay, is this Assassin's Creed again? <laughs> That's, that's a thing you can do in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, yes. Yes, but the people you recruit are either Koroks or these robots. Okay. A Korok ship. Yeah. A Korok ship. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm feeling it now. Okay. They don't even need cannons. They can just have like little leaf catapults that throw bomb flowers. Uh-huh. Are you feeling it now, Mr. Krabs? <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. So we're sailing along the Sand Sea and... The best area of the best game. Skipper really doesn't want to go to the pirate um, hangout. So for no reason, they suggest to go to the shipyard where the ships used to be built. Is that for no reason? Well, he's like, it, it could be there. Oh, okay. So he's like, listen, I don't want to go to where the pirates are and we know them to be. So instead, let's go where the ship was built because there's this almost zero chance that the ship we're looking for, which has Nehru's flame, in case our listeners have forgotten, is there. Yep. And this is where a lot of the worker robots lived. You don't get to explore their ancient robot city. Yeah. But you can ride a rickety cart um, that turns into a mini game run by a lonely Gorin. Yeah, he's just had this sitting out there for God knows how many years waiting for somebody to come by. It's quiet, but the bonus is he gets to ride the cart every day. Oh, okay. He just really likes roller coasters. Yes. So Um, (laughs) can we talk about that city for a second? Uh Uh-huh. Because the game spends no time going into what it is, so much so that a person playing through it may not even notice it as more than a background. But that is a city Mm -hmm. built around the shipyard Mm -hmm. that the robots clearly used to live in they had cities yes with like tall buildings apartments if you will they raised families so having families and culture and community and social relations makes you a person now yes okay (laughs) i think that's fair it's pretty good marker for personhood yeah i mean they don't even have a liver that's i mean some people don't have livers that's well (laughs) Yeah, well, it's true. (laughs) Right? That's a thing. I know some people don't have kidneys. Some people don't have livers, right? I don't know. Livers are important. Uh Uh-huh. If you have a liver, take care of it. (laughs) You can can have, like, uh, an artificial liver. Okay. Anyway, robots are people. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely in this game. Yeah. There isn't anything in the shipyard aside from another of those big scorpion things. God damn that thing. Moldorok. Yes. Or Moldorak. Which is a lot faster because your sword has been upgraded. Oh, yeah. And now it hits like twice as hard? Yeah. So you beat its ass real good. Don't get hit. Shut up. And finally, Skipper concedes that you really should go to the pirate stronghold, I guess. Yeah. It's not his favorite thing, but he's willing to make this sacrifice to go to the place where his crew are undoubtedly all dead from being tortured by pirates. Well, the ship's not there either. <laughs> oh, why isn't it there, Skipper? Uh, it, it's the spoiler. It's sailing around invisibly. Oh. <laughs> uh, 
Um, the pirate captain is reputedly a mechanical maniac with evil underlings. And so I guess to bring up the topic of livers, Skipper tells you, tighten up whatever you humans have instead of bolts. Yeah. And I'm not sure what that is, but okay. The pirates, what are the pirates? They're well, rogue robots. Yeah, they seem to be robots that are specifically aligned with Demise, or at least against Hylia. Yeah. Why do you think they're against Hylia? Because the robot workers are for Hylia, and everything okay. exists within the context of this overarching war. Well, what they seem to loot or pirate are time shift stones. Uh-huh. And as you explore the pirate strongholds, you see a lot of boxes of time shift stones. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. To me, I think that this is a rogue group, not necessarily aligned with Demise, even though there are Bokoblins and whatever. There sure are. But they seem to have gone into more personhood. Oh, this is the other side of personhood, right? The ability to rebel. Yeah. Just because there's a lot more imagery of robot parts. Uh-huh. Uh, the flags, the pirate flags have robot heads on them. Oh, I guess they would. <laughs> um, what else? Yeah, this is the part where it needs to be brought up that uh, the pirate stronghold, when you arrive at it, is actually extremely decrepit. And yeah. it's been abandoned for centuries, which is why when you speak to the skipper about it, he's like, you know what? I shouldn't really be freaked out about it because if you think about it, they're all dead by now. Mm-hmm. And I'm only alive because of the time shift stone on my boat. And none of their time shift stones are active. So I don't have anything to be scared of because they're all dead. I feel better. The stronghold is this giant, like, shark head. Yeah. But mechanical. Yeah. Mechanical shark head. They clearly had a giant robot shark that they were the scourge of the seas from within. <laughs> Going deeper into the strongholds, you see a lot of... Well, you see the whole cloud and sun imagery. But a lot of, like, nuts and bolts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so on. More robots. More robots. And I really think that, you know, some of the people mining for time shift stones were like, hey, we can just hoard these. If we have the time shift stones, we can live forever. Forever, 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 forever. And that's how they became pirates. Right? Why didn't I, I it guess. work? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Maybe they thought that they could live forever so long as somebody struck the time shift stones. Because these ones were programmed to recall a time when they were at the height of their power. There is only one time shift stone active in the facility. Mm -hmm. I think one. Like, there's the time shift orbs, so Link has to, like, pick it up and carry it around with him. Mm -hmm. um, eventually, you lift up the, the head of the mouth of the shark. Right. Which reveals um, an outer area where the ship would be stored, and it seems like it was there a little while ago. Uh-huh. This place is also really interesting because there's a couple of pillars where there are a pair of grinning mermaid robots wearing with pompadours. Grinning? Oh, that's right. It's just like the regular little robot guys with their floating hands, only they have fish tails and big-ass pompadours. Yes. So they've really gone far. Yeah. They? They've skipped like 1,500 years in human art terms. <laughs> um, there's also a, a crowned sun crown. A crowned sun crown. <laughs> a crowned sun that is crowned on a horned robot skull. Okay. So I really think that is robot sovereignty. Hold on. You're saying that a robot skull. What's a robot skull? The image of a robot skull. like. Okay, so it's like <laughs> their face, 
but modified you know sort of modified rounded? to resemble a, a skull. skull. Right. And it's wearing a crown that's shaped like the sun. Yes. And you think this symbolizes divinity. Robot sovereignty. Oh, sovereignty. Sovereignty? Yeah. So, but the sun is also a symbol of divinity in Hyrule. It's one of the well, not Hyrule at this point, but the sun is all, isn't it? Also, Hylia in a sense, yeah. because she has the radiant crown of the sun in ancient yes. Hylian art. So, is this a symbol that the pirates actually were specifically seeking to usurp Hylia and her place? Maybe. What's your take, Crystal? I don't think they were seeking to usurp Hylia, nor do I think they care about Hylia. I think they're just pirates and want shiny things. <laughs> really? Why is that? Uh, you know, the sun crown, suns are a common object of worship in many different cultures. Uh-huh. As it is the bringer of life. And kingship, also a common uh, social structure that has developed in many cultures, including perhaps a king of the pirates. Ah. So I think this may, yes, be a sign of sovereignty or divinity, but not necessarily a rebuke of Hylia. You don't think that it, it that the fact that they are so close to Hylia as a peoples doesn't imply that pushing back against her sovereignty or trying to assert sovereignty for themselves is inherently a push against her? Because their role is originally to mine time shift stones. All this sailing stuff is in pirating. Well, it's extra. Well, no, no, because we know that they had a shipyard, mm-hmm. and they the mm. they actually did wage war against demons on the sea. I guess so. But we know that for a fact. So I don't know. It just seems to me that if they're doing this, it's with specific intent, and they know that Hylia is real and is their god, so to speak. Or at when least you think, the, when you think these robots were made. I don't know. I think they're contemporaries because Skipper's crew was um, abducted and he was kicked overboard by the pirates. Right. That didn't end up going very well for anyone, as we later find out. No. So eventually... I has been long gone by the time these robots were made. Hmm. Really? Why do you think that? Because the Time Shift Stone sends you back 1,000 years. Um... Okay, go on. And the war was 3,000 years ago. Hold on. Where are you getting these numbers from? Oh, that number's somewhere. I'm pretty sure. Okay, you're going to have to give me that one. I do remember the comment about 1,000. It's a... I'm, I'm going to find it, but I know it says somewhere that Skyloft has been up there for about 3,000 years. Okay, the word 1,000 only appears in the Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword script twice. Um, yeah... I, I, I'm not seeing it. <laughs> I'll search instead for years, which appears in the script 15 times. I think it, there was a generational talk of when the robots were used in Skyloft. Yeah, but they only speak in very general terms many years. Yes, but as recently as two generations ago. Yes, but there's another element to this which dates the era of the pirates a little more specifically. Mm. Specifically to the time when they were destroyed in particular. Hmm. Well, they existed um, when there was still an actual sea and not the sand sea. Right. As you search, I'll just describe the sand ship. Sure. Because you find, of course, the at the pirate stronghold, uh, some wreckage from the ship. Which is like half the fucking boat. 
No, just oh. like some beams. Oh, just some beams. And that gives you the ability to douse for the ship. Of course you can. <laughs> of course. And Skipper's like, aha, it's been sailing around the whole time. The invisibly. whole time. Yes, invisibly. And with its own, like, I guess not its own time powers. It's just in the past. It's been... Sa- is that what he says? That it's been no, sailing? no. Actually, it's in the present. Yeah, it's in the present. It's in the it, present, sailing just, around. Yeah, absolutely. But with its own time shift stone. It has its own time shift stone that has not been activated. It is the flame that it carries that powers the invisibility. Yes, the flame is powering that. But how is it sailing around in the sea? It's just it's a sand ship, literally. <laughs> okay, it can sail on sand too. Sure, I guess. they call it a sand ship. Wow, they? the ship was built to sail on sand as well. Yeah. That's kind of weird. That's the only thing we've got. Okay. It was made with the foresight. Oh, God. When they commit, when this ship was commissioned by Hylia or Laneru, it was known that this region, this sea, would become desert. Uh-huh. That's fucked. Because Link chases the ship, and it's clearly just invisible. Yeah, he has to douse for it, and you can bump into it. Yes, and then you have to fire bombs at it, enough that it docks at the very obvious docking point Right near the beginning of the game that you always want to check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the beginning of the sand sea area. Are you having any luck, Crystal? Hold on. Okay. Anyway. Um, and then you board the sand ship. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. Which is actually surprise a dungeon. It's a dungeon, everybody. It's a really fun dungeon. It's really good. <laughs> it uses the time shift stones in some ways even more creatively than the Laneru mining facility. Okay, I found two references. This is not mentioned 3,000, but two references to how long Skyloft has been around. Okay. Olan says that Skyloft has floated here for ages, thousands of years. And Zelda says, to ensure that the seal holds, I will remain here in this time, deep in sleep for thousands of years. Right. So it's been at least 2,000. Sure. But what makes you think that the robots or the time shift stones are set to only be 1,000? Because of the thousand-year arachnid. Ah. But that just means that it was born a thousand years ago, not that... Yeah, that's true. Right? You you get the baby one, then you shift it forward, and it's a thousand-year arachnid. I don't think we see the baby form of the thousand-year I think we actually do for the second one. Yeah. Okay. Like, you see it in the past, and then you bring it to the present, and it's a thousand-year arachnid. Friends, this is incorrect. Monica is right, and I am wrong. There is no time shifting going on in this sequence. You find the babies and Moldorok both in the present. And that will teach me to argue with Monica. But Crystal, haven't we also established that t- different time shift stones can be programmed differently? That is true. <laughs> like they could be anchored to different points in time or different synchronized lengths? They could be. Yeah, we can't discount it. Especially because if the boss of the sand ship was still around thousands of years after Hylia perished, then the world was in much worse shape than we've been led to believe up to this point. Crystal, do you like the sand ship? The sand ship is a great dungeon. Yeah. Yeah. I think my favorite part about it is that it's a very functional ship. It has all the parts that a ship would need. And... When you first get on there, it's you're in the present, so everything is quiet. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of pile of bones all around, and you're on the deck, but that's fine. Yeah, because they're bones. 
Um, you go inside and there is a stool for your convenience. Oh yeah, because Monica was playing through in hero mode. And the only way to heal in hero mode is either by finding uh, Hylia walls, by using potions, or by sitting on stools. Yes. Um, the interior of the walls have a lot of... Um, I think it's Nehru's flame symbol inscribed. Oh, inscribed. Cool. It's sort of like a... That wavy look. Yeah, that wavy G. Um, and this dungeon is so big that it's split into half for the loading screens. Really? Yeah. That's very atypical for a Zelda dungeon. Um, I think it also happened for the mining facility, actually. There's a part where it's clearly there's a loading screen. Oh. Well, not a loading screen, but there's a load. But that up to this point in the series, like mm-hmm. the rooms would be of a certain size where they could just load in the adjacent rooms whenever you were in a particular one. Right. So you're saying that it's... Some of these rooms are so big and so complicated that they have to be loaded as you go into them. Yes. And very quickly, you fight the captain of the ship, the LD-002S Servo, who is described as a mutinous robot with a hook hand. So he mutinied against his commander and allied himself with the demons. I don't think he was part of the crew. Well, then what did he mutiny against? Hylia. Oh, <laughs> against Skipper. Yeah, I would think against Skipper. Well, he's not on the photo in Skipper's no, house. Here's the thing. He could have been a regular robot before who was modified afterward to be more combat capable. I guess. Because but no other robots look the photo. Because he's just another LD model. Right, but he's 002S instead of the regular. Yeah, he's modified, but we don't know by whom he was modified. Okay. Did Lanayru make this guy and go, yeah, you're going to go great. <laughs> you're the one. I like okay. the idea that he was always big and he had to follow this small lad. <laughs> and that's what drove him over the edge? Or is it just like something else? No, it was Skipper's sad devotion to that ancient religion. Oh, <laughs> Good. Some Star Wars for you. No, I got it. Thank you. It's, that's from Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Th- th- thank you. <laughs> Jesus, God help. Uh, Star Wars is a popular series of films made in the United States in the 1977 by director George Lucas. It was. I should co- let that man direct another movie. <laughs> is this because you want to see the wills? Yeah, I want to see the wills. The Journal of the Wills. Yeah, you're familiar with the Journal of the Wills. Have we talked about that on the podcast before? What? Where, where did you say the Wills were going to be? The Wills are, in a sense, what would eventually be described sort of by the concept of... Um, what are those things in people's cells that determine how good you are with the Force? Oh, midichlorians. Midichlorians, I thought yes. they were the keepers of the Jedi lore. No, no, no. I no. blanked out. They are literally the microscopic life forms that the force is generated by lucas is allowed to produce things i don't know and he can direct things no 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 he's he's allowed i think he's allowed if you if you give your entire fortune away to improve the education system in your home state you're allowed to and housing education and housing in your home state you're allowed to do some self-indulgent science fiction someone else write please Okay, here's my apology for the wills. Oh, no. <laughs> well, did we do the, this on Infinity War? God. 
life creates the force yes that is the famous words of yoda from episode v uh-huh do do we do we find this concept okay yeah that's fine what is the most abundant form of life in the universe i guess that depends on how you define life i guess microscopic organisms my gut flora yeah even you a human much of your mass and life is made by your gut flora according to cells at work the average human is made up of 37.5 trillion cells yeah and you have you have more gut flora cells than human cells so which ones of these are are is that true i think that's true how many gut flora cells Here on the Book of Medora, where we talk about Zelda lore and also... Anything. <laughs> anything. A little bit of Star Wars, a little bit about... A lot biology, of Assassin's Creed lately. A lot of Assassin's Creed. <laughs> a series that I have never played. Yeah. Well, I mean, you watched me play a little bit of that first one. You liked the parts where I was Altair and I was stabbing dudes and they'd have those conversations after I stabbed them. Uh-huh. Like, you were like, don't do any of those without me. And I was like, okay. Okay, so the approximate ratio for a reference man is 30 trillion human cells and 39 trillion bacteria. Wow. Wild. So, I think it's okay to say that if life creates the force, then the most abundant source of the force is midichlorians. Because <laughs> here's the thing, midichlorians aren't cellular life forms, they're subcellular I mean, a, a mitochondria is a cell. The mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Right. It was a cell that we ate. repurposed. Dungot ate. Yeah, it, we, we form a symbiotic relationship and with them. And then they like were venom. very unhappy and started setting us on fire. Yeah. Hey, Crystal, did you ever play Parasite Eve? No. Oh, don't. <laughs> it's got a hilarious premise. It's very good, but it's also very bad. And you should play it if you like Resident Evil and late 90s square RPG bullshit. It was about the revengeance of the mitochondria for yes. eating them. Yeah, yes. basically. They start setting people on fire. And the main bad guy can will the mitochondria to produce too much energy in other people. So she'll just like wave her hand and folks will burst into flames. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Back to Zelda it's where we are fighting uh, Servo. Servo. Yeah, that fucking pirate captain... And actually, we've been talking as if his crew was made up of other robots, but based on the evidence we see here, he's a pirate captain whose crew is made up of bokoblins. Electro-bokoblins, yeah. yeah Electro-bokoblins, who I guess this implies were supplied by him. What was supplied by him? All of their electric weaponry. Oh. It's very robot yeah. style, even the aesthetics of it. He armed the force that would end up bringing down his own civilization. Oh, well, that's interesting. Huh. Yeah, that it kind of resembles his electric hook hand. Um, you fight him in the present because he sails. He's sailing the sand ship even into the present. He's still alive. Yes. Robots don't just die. Well, some of them do. Mm. They get. They need oil tune-ups. Yeah, they need some kind of uh, maintenance. But either Servo's been getting that maintenance, or he's been modified to the point where he no longer needs it. But see. Did Hylia plan this? Yeah, I have no idea, actually. This is fucked. <laughs> well, to have the ship sail around and Link find it and all that. Apparently. Whoa. Oh, okay, so maybe Skurvo's not a traitor. I was going to say maybe Servo is like that particular reading of Judas. Yes, that's that's what I sort of 
I was trying to get to. Okay. This is a planned pirate rebellion. Judas who wept at the Last Supper. A heavy task. Holy shit. That is so dark, though, because that would mean that... He brought about the downfall of his people to serve... The purpose of destroying the Demon King. Oh, my God. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know if I like that anymore. <laughs> no, I'm going to rescind all that stuff I said about him arming the electro They did that on their own because they are all so... What, I don't fucking so know. So, Helia didn't plan everything? Oh, she definitely did. She definitely well, did. <laughs> so then... Okay, she's turning more and more into the villain of this story the further in we get. I can see uh, why she went, okay, I'm getting a reset. <laughs> This is why you don't declare omnipotence. I mean... It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. You have to bear the burden of karma in order to rule. Yeah. And by burden of karma, I mean you must do very evil things in order to preserve the world. The Servo fight is very fun because you're on this sort of fenced off um, the prow of the ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is very long, but uh, you you, you dash up it. And he's dashing towards you. And yeah, there's yeah, your yeah. Clash in the center. There's no health here, not for him. You can pound. You can just beat his ass all day. He will never die. Right. You're just supposed to beat him back, and then eventually he actually f- f- closes off a back section, so the t- the fighting space is tighter. And then you're back again. And you have to charge towards him. Yeah, it's like at your back is death by electric grid, and at his back is death by falling off the ship. And he keeps making the space smaller and smaller. So you're having this really wild sword duel in the middle of it, and you can knock him off balance, and he'll stand on one leg and fight you off with his hook. And it's the coolest. It's pretty cool. It's the coolest, just thematically speaking, having this really. Uh, dramatic Errol Flynn-style sword duel on the prow of a ship. And after this, you get the arrows, the uh, bow. You didn't mention him dying. Oh, then he dies. Oh, thank you, Monica. Uh, you push him to the very edge of the prow, and you force him off, and he falls to the sea and explodes. I, I don't really remember these things very well. I, mm, you get the bow. Have you? F- is this the latest that you ever get the bow in any of these games? Yeah. It's pretty late. This is the last item. This weapon. Yeah. And it's like the second to last regular ass dungeon. Yeah. What's the dungeon item for the next one? Is there even one? Uh... You just played this. No, don't look at your notes. We'll get to it. Anyway, you get the bow and it's... Oh, I know what it is. It's the digger mates enhanced. Okay, that's not, that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you get the bow and in some ways it's the best and strongest version of the bow. It's great. It's the only bow with one-to-one aiming. It has one-to-one aiming, and you can charge it up. And if you release it at the highest level of charge, it does all the damage. All the damage? All the damage. You can upgrade your bow, similar to how you can upgrade many other items at Gondo's shop. And if you upgrade it fully, a fully charged bow shot does more than a spin attack with the Awakened Master Sword. It's the sacred bow. Yeah. It's If you need to kill something and you don't really want to fight it, stand far enough away that you don't aggro the enemy and just shoot them. And very few enemies will live through more than one or two. I like the charged up arrow shots because the arrow seems to like twist in the air a bit. Yeah, it's star- like- it has this sort of a football rotation thing going <laughs> and you can see it cutting the wind. You also have the ability to actually pick up your arrows in this game. Oh, yeah. Because so this is a precursor to Breath of the Wild. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Your arrows get stuck in things, but only if they hit like wood, right? 
Um, if they hit something metal, they just fall and disappear. I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. But now that you've got the bow, what can you do with it? Well, the premise is you... There is a giant time shift stone on the central mast of the ship. Yeah, right on the deck. Way up there. I guess where the crow's nest would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by hitting it, um, you bring the ship back into the past, and all of the monsters wake up, all of the goblins. Not Servo, though. No, they're, they're dead. No. Or not there. Hold on. Does that imply that Servo wasn't there in the past? Oh. Oh, interesting. Okay, hold on. I've got to look up the exact description that Phi has for Servo. This mutinous robot stole this ship from Skipper long ago. He still commands the ship to this day. Okay, so he's definitely the one who threw Skipper off. Mm -hmm. And that would imply that he's the leader of the pirates. But he kept on going even when the other pirates were dead. Mm -hmm. And... He keeps sailing the ship instead of just sinking it. Right. And then why and, isn't... Or extinguishing the flame. But then why isn't he there in the past? Because he's in the ocean. Because <laughs> time bullshit. Do you think that it could be that he, as a servant of Hylia, specially designated, is not affected by time shift stones in the same way that Link is not? Possibly. Oh, yeah. His corpse fell in the ocean. So even though it was in a different place in the past... It's not there to be touched by the time shift stone in the present, right? Oh, heavens. Okay. Now, time shift stones are very weird. Uh-huh. So the rest of the ship, the rest of the dungeon is you going through the ship and switching the time shift stone on and off to switch between the past and the present so that you can set up different sections of rooms and get certain systems working versus not working. Right. You have to get to the engine room of the ship, but... First, you have to save Skipper's crew. Oh, yeah. They are locked up in the past. They're dead now. They're dead now. But in the past, they were locked up. Yes. And uh, they're guarded by, like, goblins, and they're in a little jail cell Uh and things. But, you know, you go through a roundabout route, and you free them. And uh, the ship is interesting. You can climb the masts, and there are these little tiny um, safety boats on the side Uh, that you can raise and lower. Sure. And you have to shoot through a lot of bars. Lifeboats. Lifeboats, thank you. And you have to shoot through a ton of bars to hit that time shift stone or a target or what have you. Um, Most of it's pretty standard, but then you enter into an area where there's... I'd say they look like eye shapes at first, if you're not familiar with it, but may also look like squid tentacle suction cups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you end up getting the control room key... Which is a squid carving. Yes. And as soon as you get that key... No, not yet. Oh. <laughs> no. No. You have to open up the boss door, which is to the engine room. And it's a giant door with like wind and wave shapes on it and a whirlpool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the squid go- key goes into the center. But also you have to shape it so that it ends up looking like the shape of a skull. Yeah, which is very cool. They do a lot with these little 3D puzzles that feels very neat looking back on them. Um, and you you walk into the engine room and there's no boss. No boss. There's an engine. There's an engine and you have to do the thing. No. no. You, you just take a step towards the engine and giant tentacles appear. Yeah. it's be, The ship is attacked by a sea monster contemporous with the sh- ship originally being stolen. 
Yeah, this is in the past. Yeah, this is in the past. Uh, and you have to flee the ship, and giant tentacles will pop up to block your way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have to hit it with the sword. Uh, the skyward strike. The because skyward strike, because the normal sword doesn't work. It, don't, it just won't cut through it. And it, it starts tilting, and water starts flooding, and really, this ship should be sinking. Yeah. Based on how many uh, different holes are in it now. Yeah, it's a very good ship, though. But you say it should be sinking. Half of it definitely does. It's half sunk. Well, I'm saying it should be full sunk. No, I mean the the beast attacking the ship literally tears it in half. Yes. Um, and you manage to scramble onto the deck, and there is the abyssal leviathan tantalus. Tantalus? Tantalus. Tent- tenta- tentacle man. Tentacles. It looked like a medusa, but also a cyclops. It looks very goofy. <laughs> it's a, probably the silliest looking boss in Skyward Sword, and I'm including the Imprisoned. In case our listeners want some kind of image of it, um, it looks kind of like a big rubbery Muppet that has a single big orange eye in the center of its head and a really huge mouth and hair that's made of tentacles. It's described well, snakes. as... snakes. And snakes. Oh yeah, and later snakes. snakes. Yes, sea serpents, if you will. It's described as the tyrant of the ancient seas. Yes. Now, see, Crystal, you mentioned that you think that all of this happened long after Hylia left the world. Do you imagine then that there was still a monster like this at that time? Absolutely. Really? You think that the surface is just full of these beasts? It's an abyssal leviathan. It's not exactly from the surface. (laughs) Well, couldn't you argue that the abyss could also... reference where the demons come from because this is clearly some kind of demon right this is part of the aquatic demon tribe the aquatic demon tribe you say you're just gonna leave that there (laughs) yeah well they came from underground right Um, i'm not sure how the geography of planet hylia shakes out hold on Hmm? what is planet hylia oh the planet why is it named that well you know, what else? Well, Miyamoto says it's on Earth. Okay, planet Earth. Planet Dirt. What? Wait, wait, <laughs> no. Yeah. Planet Gaia. Planet Terra. Most of it's probably ocean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, most of its surface is covered by ocean, it seems. Right, so if the demons came from underground, a lot of them would have come into the water. But do they not aim? Do they just come up randomly? <laughs> well, some of them are aquatic. Such as this abyssal leviathan. Okay, so in that case, do you imagine that the world is still full of these demons that people haven't hunted down and fought? Maybe not a ton, but some, like the Thorian. The the Thorian from Mass Effect. (laughs) Right, a survivor of the Reaper Cullings. Crystal, Hmm? I don't know if this follows... Or like the Leviathans from Mass Effect. Oh, God. <laughs> you can just, I mean, Why is it hiding like in the bottom of the ocean, it's a pretty good hiding place. I mean, it's a good hiding place, but at the same time, you know, everything, like demons have periods where they just can't live in the world above because the source of their life, which is usually the demon king, just goes. The appearance of monsters is usually a sign that something is coming back. Right. I just assumed that this battle took place, like, all of this takes place during the war, or immediately after Hylia has sealed demise. Well, here's my question to you, Cameron. 
why did Hylia need the tragic figure Skurvo to displace the Captain Skipper? It's because Skipper's a, Skipper's a good captain. Skipper's not going to be able to defend Nehru's flame from the likes of Abyssal Leviathans. Hmm. Hmm. You know, you say that, but then the Leviathan did attack almost as soon as the ship was stolen. Because you displaced Servo in the present, which also moved him in the past, once you activated the time shift stone, I guess. My head hurts. Okay, so... But the Abyssal Leviathan isn't around in the present, right? No, it's not, because you kill it here. Servo killed it. Well, I think that probably the original version of the Leviathan died of old age, or something. You think Servo killed it? How would he have killed it? Yeah, I think... If Skurvo has been blessed with the goddess to not be affected by the time stones, much like her chosen hero, he's probably good at swords. But we also agreed that your explanation that Servo wasn't brought back by the time shift stone because his body can't be affected by its field being outside of its range is the more likely explanation. But now I'm subscribing to the tragic figures of Skurvo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, just for the purpose of this one argument? I mean, it's compelling. It is compelling. But I also like the time fuckery that's going on here when we talk about Servo's body being outside of it. Because when you defeat Servo in the present, that's fine. The problem is that when you activate the time shift stone, it creates its time field, which is capable of changing the past. But because you've removed Servo from the field... Then once you activate the time shift stone, it retroactively rewrites history so that he was never there. Hence the Abyssal Leviathan. Hence the Abyssal Leviathan, because nobody was driving the ship to keep it away from the Leviathan. It's sitting still in the sea. Okay, yeah, I'm buying it now. I'm buying this idea that the purpose that he served, not to say that he necessarily knew he was serving Hylia, but that this was Hylia's plan, was that he would keep the ship going. And he kept doing it long after the Leviathan was dead. No, he knew he was serving Hylia because it makes it more tragic. Yeah, but do we need it to be just arbitrarily tragic? Tragedy. Yeah, you can have fan fiction of the moment when Skurvo betrayed Skipper. Okay, I would definitely read that fan fiction, and I'd probably enjoy it a lot. But there are lots of evil things in the game that serve Hylia without knowing it, like Girahim and Demise. You know they made a giant statue of Servo? Oh, did they? Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 they did. EB games. Yeah, we sold them at that dang old EB that I worked at. It was really good looking, too. Yes. Wow. Who would buy such a thing? I mean... If I had had enough money at the time, I probably would have bought it. Because Servo is great. He's such a fun design. The the character, the boss, mini boss character that you see for three minutes. Let's be real. He's a boss. He's a boss, but he's also he's a boss fight. Boss. He's and, a boss fight and he's a boss. Okay. For three minutes in like the least played Zelda game um, in recent time. Yeah, you're not wrong. Interesting choice there. Here's my other theory about this ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, it got cut in half, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's dead. <laughs> okay. Many years later, its ghost would be used by Princess Zelda of Time. Oh my god! To hold a shard of the Triforce. Okay. That's an. Oh, mm. This does tie into the idea of Hylia using ships and Zelda being Hylia ships as vessels carrying important relics for the hero to find is definitely a theme. Mm -hmm. 
the only problem with this is that they repair the ship afterward. They bring well, it, it back died to of life. old age. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, you're not wrong. The wood rotted. Given enough time after the events of Skyward Sword, I'm sure that it truly died. But what if you replace it plank by plank? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, dude. Anyway, Servo's not there, so Tantalus catches up, and it's time to fight it. Does do one of you want to explain the Tantalus fight? I mean, it's not really much of a fight just to talk about. It's first it attacks by all of its tentacles rising up out of the ground, and you have to cut them down with the Skyward Strike. And if you don't do it fast enough, they'll grab you and swing you around a little bit, and you have to wiggle the Wii Remote and the Nunchuck to break free. And if you don't do that, then they slam you into the ground and hurt you. But if you break, cut down enough of the tentacles, then Tantalus itself shows up and it like roars at you and you have to shoot it in the eye with an arrow. And then it falls down and you run over and you wail on its face with your sword. How do you know to shoot it in the eye? You know what? Well, I, hmm, hold on. That's a real good question. Even ignoring just the fact of like, Always shoot for the eye. <laughs> Let's see what Phi has to say about it. Um, da, 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 da. Okay, the third message you get from Phi with regards to Tantalus is about hitting it in the eye. I'm glad Phi told me that because I wouldn't know otherwise. It's a giant glowing orange It's a. Fire it eye. is literally the exact opposite end on the color spectrum compared to the entire rest of its body. Hey, what if the squid carving was like a radio signal to Tantalus? Hold on, what do you mean? When you put the squid carving in the door and two seconds later the squid appears. Oh, so you're saying that's not a coincidence. The squid carving actually summoned Tantalus. Yes. It's squid carving. What do you make of that, Crystal? Sure, I'm fine with the squid carvings being a radio signal. I mean, not even necessarily just as a radio signal, but like maybe the fact of you releasing that lock. Maybe Tintalis was in the hold of the ship the entire time. That's a really big ship. It is a really big ship. I guess squids can squish down a lot. Maybe it would. Yeah, it can. Maybe it was the ballast. What? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, other than the flame, there isn't much the ship has to carry, I guess. Yeah. And here it is, the trial for the hero, the imprisoned demon Tentalis, who was held inside the ship by Hylia for no purpose except to fight Link once he had defeated Servo. That's true, because the uh, sense is so shallow. The, the sea is yeah. so shallow, and you don't see any sign of a giant tentacle monster. Okay, here's the story. Oh. Mm -hmm. Skipper just wanted to keep sailing the ship around to keep it away from Tentalis. Then Skirvo was like, Captain, eventually we're we're gonna we're gonna let our guard down and Tentalis is gonna get us. So what we need to do is summon Tentalis here so I can kill it. Uh-huh. And then he did. And then he did. With his bow and arrow? <laughs> but but he had to betray his captain to do it. Oh. <laughs> That's you, you do get the bow from okay. Servo, so that's very silly. Um, but, but in that case, if it did happen, then why are you able to summon Tantalus and use the key? He beat Tantalus only so much to stuff it into the hold. No, <laughs> I reject this. This is a very serious podcast. <laughs> uh huh. Okay, anyway, you stab it in the eye a bunch of times, and then it shifts over to the other side of the ship, and you have to run up on top of the higher part of the deck. What's the rear deck called? The elevated one. Um, 
Oh, shoot. You know this. Poop deck. <laughs> anyway, it goes up on the poop deck. And Monica has now gotten her phone out to look up what that specific part of the deck That's is where called. where the captain stands. Uh, yeah. It's the poop deck. Is it? Yes. Okay. Great. Uh, so you go up and you have to fight Tantalus on the poop deck, but it has learned that you will shoot it in the eye. Uh, why are you laughing at poop deck, Crystal? <laughs> it's like this feces. Yeah, I guess. It's like a shit Even deck. though it's it's derived from the French word for stern, la poupe, from could... Latin poopus. Yeah, <laughs> poopus. <laughs> uh, very serious podcast. Very extremely serious podcast. Okay, it's the stern deck. The stern. Yeah, the stern. Yes, the stern of the ship. Yeah, my ass. Is the poop deck. Uh, you fight uh, Tantalus on the poop deck, the shittiest part of the boat. And uh, it has learned that you will shoot it in the eye, so it covers its eye with its tentacle hair. Only some of its tentacles can turn into sea serpents, and they fly at you. And this part's red-hot horse shit, because you have to fight those tentacles off really hard. You have to swing your sword quickly but tactfully. And stop at just the right second to get a shot off, unless you can do it fast enough. Like, if you do it enough, will there be a pause? I don't know. We always get hit. We all, I always get hit, and then I'll shoot off <coughs> while I'm invincible from the hit and knock it down. And then you run over and you beat on its eye some more, repeat, and it dies. It just fucking dies. And then you get a hard container, and then the... And it turns out that the flame was right there. Uh-huh. Uh, the flame pops up. Fly jumps into the flame. Um, that whole sequence happens. Link catches the flame in his sword again, and he's more ready for it, but not completely. Right. And the each of these flames confers some benefit to the sword. This one gives you more dowsing slots. Oh, joy. Yeah. It doesn't make it stronger this time. Mm-hmm. You just get more dowsing slots. Right. And it gets slightly longer. Yes. And it's white. It's the white sword now. It's the white sword. Yep. And the second crest uh, of wisdom appears on Link's hand. Link has two crests now. Um, you shouldn't leave this area right afterwards, even though you're really longing to go back to the sky to do more side quests. Sure. Because there is, you can actually explore the, the ship again. Oh, yeah. I never did that my first time through. Or did I? I don't think you did. No. Because I didn't. Maybe my second or third time I did. Because it is all cleaned up. Yeah, the robots have taken the ship back over. And Skipper remarks that it was half-wrecked, even though it was split in half with like 500 holes yeah, on it. Yeah, half-wrecked. But it was fixed really quickly by the robots. They're very good at fixing. And they're really there's no monsters about. You just explore the ship around, and uh, all the robots are on the top deck. Um, you can wander around the mass and or like the top part and there's a lot just like sort of dangling their feet around and talking about going on to their next major quest they're going to go and round up uh, the rest of the crew and go on a journey and if you go into the hold all the electric bokoblins are locked up yeah (laughs) you can execute them which you probably shouldn't do to prisoners but wait what oh crystal did you not know this (laughs) Lincoln execute prisoners? Uh-huh. The Bacoblins, yes. Uh, Monica did definitely do that. Um, the funny thing about this is that they're all, like, the fact that they're all in these holding cells means that they came back to life at some point, possibly after the... Some no, this is in the past. Yeah, you it's in the past. The time shift stone. But you killed them in the past. Yes. Anyway, they came back to life, but you can imagine the scene of the robots... 
without the menace of Servo hanging over them, taking back the ship by force. And it's just these little guys with these big hands hoarding the scary electrobocoblins into a cage. And they didn't even disarm them. They just shoved them in there. And there's a little jailer robot standing outside, and he's just like, yeah, we've got them all locked up now. Don't worry. They're going to get what's coming to them. Yeah, what does he mean by that? He clearly means that they're going to kill the Bacabas. They're going to walk the plank. Yeah. They, for what it's worth, they never make them walk the plank that we're aware of. Though that could just be because of the way time works with the time shift stone. If you turn off the time shift stone, the skeletons are all still in that one room. But that may be because by turning off the time shift stone, you don't give them time to make them walk the plank. Anyway, eventually they're going to kill those goddamn bacoblins. There's also a room on the ship with a bunch of treasure chests, like five. Yep. And there isn't anything major in them. No. But um, at this point, if you, like any sane person, take all the treasure chests um, during your exploration of the dungeon. Yeah. uh, You can talk to one of the robots and they're like, oh, our treasure was all stolen. Oh. Sorry. Monica. Yeah. Why'd you take all their treasure? I didn't know it was their treasure. Oh, yeah, you did. You've played this before. No, but I never went back you to You steal from people all the time in video games. If you knew it was theirs and that they would be sad... I would take it anyway. Yes. They're okay. open chess. Okay. No artifice here on the Book of Medora. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, can we mention that there's also... There, there's there's sails on this ship. Yeah, absolutely. But there's an engine room. Of course. Why? <laughs> to reduce the necessity of strain on the engine. Use the engine for windless days. Okay. Also, sail power doesn't work super good when you're trying to sail the sand. Fair. Fair. So, electropocoblins are prisoners. If you hit the time shifts, you have to... Okay, here's the fucked up thing about the sand ship. You have to turn off the time shift stone to leave. Uh Uh-huh. So they just go back to being dead. Now, they still move around when you come back. So, you get the impression that somehow they're able to activate the time shift stone even though they're dead. Or, they're waiting for random birds to just fly into the time shift stone. I mean, they're not any more dead than they already were. Uh, Yeah, but what I'm saying is that they're still able to affect the state of the ship even in the present from your perspective. Right, they they set up some kind of machine to knock the time shift stone back. Just every once in a while, it'll go bong, and there, they're back uh, being alive. There's a mechanism to actually close the guard around the time shift stone. Yeah. I suppose to prevent birds from just hitting it. Yeah, that would make sense. Well, from from their perspective, they never stop being alive. They're just, they can see the future. Jumping every once in a while. Right. They're always alive in the past. Yeah, they're always alive in the past, and the present, such as it is, seems to move around without them. Time shift stone, time travel. Is there a more convoluted form of time travel that you can think of up off the top of your head in popular fiction? Assassin's Creed. Uh, how is... what kind of time travel is that got? Well, you're, you're familiar with the concept of genetic memory. Uh-huh. Well, genetic memory is sort of like Isaac Newton's theory of gravitation, where it's not wrong per se, but it doesn't tell the whole story. Uh Uh-huh. So what's actually happening... In the animus. In the animus, is it is uh, calling forward the consciousness of your ancestor and projecting it into your brain. Okay. Is that it? Yeah. Okay, so you're just calling their consciousness forth 
forward through time, synchronizing it with yours so you can see their experiences as they do them, so to speak. Right. And you turning the game off is like disengaging with the animus. But also you can change the past that way. Okay. That that actually seems less convoluted than what's going on with the time shift stone still. Fair enough. I just want to talk about it. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why I expected any different. Back to Skyloft. Okay, you go back to Skyloft and you got some side quests and shit that you can do, I guess. Yes. Um, firstly, uh, Crawlin would like you to deliver a love letter. Oh, God in heaven. Okay. In case our listeners have forgotten, Colin, alongside Stritch, is one of the two cronies that Groose had when he lived on Skyloft. Uh, Colin is the short one, and he is a fuckboy, as you learn here. He's the one who takes over Groose's room after Groose leaves. Um, he is sweet on Karine. Who is Link's upperclassman. And he's nervous about confessing to her, so he's written a letter. This is some serious shoujo high school bullshit where you ask someone else to deliver your love letter for you. It's on very nice, high-quality paper. Now listen, instead of talking about this part, we should mention something else first. Mm-hmm. Henna will mention to you that there's been some kind of weird ghostly voice coming out of the toilet. Oh, yes. And if you go into the toilet at night... Or you try to. Hey. <laughs> <a, a, laughs> Yeah, yeah. If you go in, if you try to go into the toilet at night, a ghostly voice will stop you, asking, "Paper, paper." Okay, and then you can talk to Colin, and he'll be like, "Listen, deliver this love letter for me, would you?" And there's a moment where, if you have talked to Henna and the ghost already, Link will stop, and he'll look over at the toilet, and then Colin will follow his line of sight over to the toilet and go, "What are you looking at?" What? Like, like immediately on. The mention of paper looks towards the wash. It's like, because uh, it highlights the word paper. There's books around. And Colin is like, no, no, that is the song of my heart. Don't you dare give my love letter to a toilet ghost. <laughs> and that's the actual line that's in this game. Crystal, which, um, what so- are you going to do with this letter? I'm going to give it to, to Feeny. F- F- is that the name of the turlet ghost? Yeah, because if you give it to her, and then you go back into Groose's room where Colin sleeps at night, Feeny will be caressing him in his sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you go and you give the paper to the turlet ghost. And the turlet ghost is like, oh, thank you. And it's implied that the turlet ghost stops and reads the paper. It's like, oh. Before using it to wipe her ass. Oh, she does, she's just like a disembodied, like, opera glove-looking hand. and She's got no butt. She's not, the, she's not the toilet hand from the Oracle games or from Majora's Mask. This is a ghost. and She's just a hand and an ass. And then you can ask, <laughs> you can talk to Colin, and he's like, what did you do with my love letter? And you can be like, I gave it to the toilet. <laughs> and he'd be like, I can't believe you gave it to the toilet. Everything is ruined forever. He's crying at night. He runs off. He just sobs himself to sleep. And he sobs himself to sleep every night for the entire rest of the game. Because he just can't work up the courage to write another letter, I guess. And yeah, if you go and watch him cry while he sleeps, you can see the toilet ghost hand, like, stroke his hair. Oof. What I don't get is there's paper around. There are books. 
there's assumedly notebooks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... No, but this is the this is the only time somebody says paper with golden or red text, and Link is like paper. <laughs> no, uh, here's the other thing. Mm-hmm. Link's a fucking asshole. Yeah, and, he's no, kind of <laughs> more than that. He doesn't fucking like Colin. No, that's the best explanation for why he gives his love letter to a toilet ghost. Yes. But if you if you do give it to Karane, uh huh, then she will be touched by the letter, uh huh, and she'll meet up with Colin to discuss uh, the date they're gonna go on, uh huh. But then Pippet hears about it from Link, and he runs in and confesses his feelings to Karane. Because if you talk to Karane, she has a big crush on Pippet. Yeah, and she was hoping that. Pippet would be the one that the letter's from, but no, it turns out it's from Colin, and he has bad handwriting, but it's not bad poetry, really. Isn't it hard? Oh, it's terrible, but Carne has no real taste. Uh-huh. But Carne was willing to give Colin a shot until Pippet runs in and confesses his feelings, and then Carane goes on a date with Pippet. Pippet says, please go out with me instead, and... <laughs> <laughs> And there's this moment where both of them are like, you have to choose between us. And Carnay's like, oh, yeah, I choose Pippet. <laughs> My goodness. Pippet, Pippet is the real fuck boy. Yeah, Colin, Colin does have this moment where it's like, see, I told you she would choose. Wait, what? And then he runs off sobbing while fucking Pippet and Carnay are just making cow eyes at each other. Oh, Carnay. Pippet is awful. Like, just the fact... The real shit of this is that when you talk to Pippet, he's like, oh, well, I, you know, Carne's all right. And then Link is like, hey, you know what I've got here? I've got a love letter from Colin, and I'm going to deliver it. And he's like, is it to Carne? And he's like, yeah. He's like, but, but you, but it, it, no, it, uh. And Link's like, see you later, fucker. <laughs> and this is where we learn a little bit more about Link, because Link is a shit disturber. Uh-huh. And Link loves to watch this shit happen. Now that his dream is clear, he likes seeing other high school kids lose their minds over what seems like petty bullshit to him. He's like, I'm fighting the devil down there, and you guys are upset about a love letter from a person who sucks. (laughs) Anyway, the morally correct choice to me is giving it to the Turlet Ghost. Not only because it makes the Turlet Ghost happy, and Colin sad. Both options make Colin sad. But also because Carne doesn't get with Pippet, and by God, she deserves better than that. She has to live her life and, you know, live her errors. Okay, yeah. I guess learning that Pippet is a fuckboy is an important part of growing up. But how often do we make that excuse for these relationships? Yeah. I think we've done I that mean, more than once in The Legend of Zelda. You can get five gratitude crystals from Pippet. But you could also get five gratitude crystals from the Turlet Ghost. Okay. And wouldn't you rather have a Turlet Ghost's gratitude? <laughs> no, I don't want her shit-stained gratitude crystals. <laughs> gratitude is pure, physically speaking. No poop. Also, ghosts don't poo. Why does she need paper? I don't know, because that's referencing some kind of yokai. She died in the toilet. She died in the turlet. I don't know. She has insecurities. She died without wiping her butt. Okay. <laughs> I'm putting a stop to this one right now. Next side quest, she, please. She finally has... Okay, fine. No, before we do this, listeners, if you have an opinion 
on what is the morally correct choice between giving the love letter to Karin A versus giving it to the toilet ghost, please write in and let us know. Uh-huh. Or let me and Crystal know on Twitter, at Camrider or at Arcane Crystal. Um, a slightly, Team Toilet Ghost. A slightly smaller side quest. Um, you can give Fledge his second round of steroids. The green potion. Green potion, stamina potion, uh, because... He's hit a plateau at 57 push-ups. That's not a plateau, Fletch. Yeah, you mentioned in the first time we talked about it that he was getting up in the 50s, but I think he only gets up to like six. No, no, no. like after the first round. Yeah, in the first round. Yeah, six is already decent. I can't do six. You can't do one. I can't do one. Um, But now with the one round of stamina potion, he's at 57. 57 is pretty good for a kid your size, Fletch. His form is terrible. Yeah, it's really bad. But uh, you give him the drugs. And they are not drugs. They they modify his body. They are medicine. Okay. He's just carbo-loading. He's carbo-loading. And he can do about 398. Yeah, you transition to next and he goes... three well, 3,980. He gets to 3,980-something and then goes, Whew! That's a good warm-up. Yes. Sorry, I think it is the 3,000, my scribble here. Yeah, it's not, yeah. Um, there's a pumpkin minigame now where he will heft pumpkins. And toss them. Yes, and then Link will have to shoot them. With his bow. With his bow. It's and kind of fun, but kind of aggravating because they can go really far. Yeah. Um, and what it's a one waste of those. Of food. <laughs> what is it? Yeah, it is an incredible waste of food, but, you know, there's always plenty of food on Skyloft. What's your prize for getting really high? Is it just a heart piece? Heart piece, I think. Okay. Oh, and the other side quest you can now accomplish, uh, Petrus is making heart hands at you. Oh, no. You don't have to encourage her. She reaches this part on her own. This poor girl. She's making heart hands at you. Link's her most regular customer, and also he's kind of a cute boy, so Petrus has developed a crush on him. And, uh... She's the item shop check, item check girl, in case anybody forgot. She wants to meet you at night at her place. Uh Uh-huh. About at the same time, you can talk to her dad, who is very unhappy because his daughter has an unwanted admirer. That's his words. Yeah, she's got this thing going on where it's like her mood has changed, and he assumes it's because somebody is bothering her. And not that she's super in love with someone. And she's got a crush. Uh, So... Man, fuck her dad. <laughs> her dad is paternalistic awful. piece of shit. He hires Link to remove the so-called egg swiper. He oh, first of all, fuck. Second of all, he literally hires Muscle to go scare the guy that he assumes is interested in his daughter. I think he honestly knows that it's just somebody who's interested in Petrus and not somebody who has unwanted affections. It's the dad that they have the audacity to court right it's unwanted to the dad oh unwanted to him they didn't even pay him a dowry yeah because they're gonna come and take his property because that's surely a thing on skyloft (laughs) fuck it's time and petrus asks you what you think about her is this is this the moment this is the moment are you sure because it, it, you this this sort of is built up over the course yes. of the game a little bit. We didn't she really wa- get into it. She warms to you a lot as you do major story events, and like she's at first like 
really unhappy to see you. And then she's like, oh, you're my regular. And then she's like, hey, cutie. And now it gets to this point where she kind of confesses to you by inviting you to confess to her. This is very Japanese. I don't. uh, That is a thing in a lot of shoujo for sure. It's like, how do you feel about me? Yes. Crystal, what do you do here? I confess my love to her. (laughs) Okay. Because no matter how you choose to do this, they give you a bunch of opportunities to not. You have to, well, yeah, you have to state it outright like four, like three, four times. Search for you store my items. No, that's not on here. You hold my items. Sorry. You have to, if you want to let her down, there's no doing it gently. This, this, uh... This script may be incomplete. This script is hella incomplete. It hasn't got Beatrice on here at all. Why don't you search up her wiki page? There's quotes near the bottom. I love Beatrice. So she asks, what do you think about me? You can say, you store items, or I like you. (laughs) And then if you say, I like you, she'll say, you do? Really? You're not lying? And you can say, really, or lying, actually. (laughs) And if you say, really, she'll say, I'm so happy. I feel like I'm in a dream. I have to hear it again, just to be sure. Do you really, really, really like me? You can say, I do, or, uh, sorry. Now, um, the same thing happens in reverse if you reject her. Because then, if you reject her the first time, she confesses to you. And then if you reject her again, she's like, maybe I didn't say this clearly enough. And then she gives you one more chance. Because no matter what you do, you have to triple choose your option. Uh And if you dump her, so to speak, then she'll say, but I understand your true feelings better than you know. You're saying that you cannot give yourself over to love just yet. That you have much more important things to do right now. You have some kind of serious job you have to attend to first, right? If you weren't off on an adventure, you probably wouldn't need to come by the item check so often. And that's why I won't ask any more of you. I'll just watch over you, protecting you from afar, keeping a vigilant eye on your items. And then when your important work is done, oh god, this is after you agree to it. We'll tell my dad we're in love. Until then, we'll keep our love secret. Darling, I... I'll see you again at the item check. God, I had that. I had that completely fucking wrong. Okay, you had it wrong. That's that's if you get to the end of the confession. Oh fuck me. Oh Jesus. <laughs> Whoopsie doodle. No, she is rather crushed when you you reject her. Yes. Um, though she she handles it well because by the next day she lets you know she she asks if you're here to see the woman whose heart you broke but is growing more and more beautiful every day god i love Beatrice so much because that's what happens when women have their heart broken they the first time yeah they grow their beauty only grows it's right oh and she's fairly convinced that link is now going to be heads over heels about her but she's you know got standards she's She's like fuck you (laughs) you know what even if you want me after that you can't have this fuck off it's like she's the best i know you love i i my preferred path in this class is definitely to emotionally manipulate her to get those sweet, sweet gratitude crystals. I, I do much prefer having her gratitude crystals over her father's gratitude crystals. Because when you dump her, he takes it as her giving her unwanted suitor the boot. And he assumes that you helped. And he hates to see her blue, but damn it, he feels so much better that you just get a big bundle of gratitude crystals out of it. Yeah, that's awful. Fuck. 
But, you know, this is kind of... At some time, she's going to get her heart broken. Or uh, maybe I'm, she'll I get wrapped know. into another romance. Maybe. That's the best outcome. Well, for see, here's the thing. Um, Beatrice, up to this point in the series, is the most canon possible alternative romance to <laughs> Zelda. Because you can actually choose to romance Beatrice. Uh-huh. You and can. Fi tells you that you probably shouldn't let Zelda know about this. Yeah. She's like, don't, don't tell her, Grace. J- don't. Fi also confirms that Link's feelings are genuine. Oh, goodness. Uh-huh. So you can... She can feel your aura. You can make that canon. You can. The look Monica has the, on, the look Monica has on her face I right have to now. get the gratitude crystals from her shit dad. Sorry. Yeah, because Monica goes for the... Uh, goes for the canon uh z link relationship which you know very vanilla but also very contact stop looking at me like that it's very textual in this game okay it's fine you can make z link a little spicier if you portray zelda as being like a homebreaker between link and Beatrice. (laughs) wouldn't Beatrice be the homebreaker well link never committed to zelda oh their confession scene was interrupted oh what if what if what if Link is just, no, Link likes stirring up shit too much. No matter how you do any given quest, he likes stirring shit up. Okay, never mind with where I was going with that. Anyway, you've got two canon romances in this game, but they are mutually exclusive because Link is monogamous. Let's go to the Isle of Songs. Oh, what about Fun Fun Island? Uh... Fun Fun Island's the best way to earn rupees in the entire game, and I know for a fucking fact you can get that thing unlocked by now. Yes, I think you'd have gotten it with the Dustbuster. Yeah. Basically, Fun Fun Island is a place that's run by a scary clown man, and he wants it to be a place where people can come and have fun for money. But he's lost his fun wheel, so he can't run Fun Fun Island, even though it's just like part of his costume. So you have to go down to the Nehru region and get his fun wheel and have Scrapper bring it up with his psychic powers. And then you carry it up there, and he gets his wheel back, and he's like, oh, thank God. And then you get into what is, for some, the easiest way to earn money in the entire series, and for some, the literal hardest that any minigame in Zelda has ever been. I thought that was bamboo swiping. Uh, no. No, it's either this or the baseball game in Link Between Worlds. Oh, that one's also very hard. That one don't fuck around. So the way that it works is you get launched out of a cannon into the sky and you have to go through some rings without bumping into giant uh, balloons that have the guy's face on them. And the more rings you get, uh, the higher your multiplier is. And that multiplier is applied to the value of the rupee space that you land on. And the timing can be very difficult, but you can get up to 500 rupees per play. You know, this is... Like the fourth Link to get fired out of a cannon. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. It was really hilarious when Wind Waker Link was blasted out of a cannon. And then it just became normal, including for the very um, adult-looking Links as well. Yes. It's silly. Yes. Anyway, you get a heart piece from that too. And Fun Fun Island's great. Uh, Anybody who doesn't like it, get good. Skydiving is fun. On to the Isle of Songs, part three. Uh Uh-huh. This time when you go in... A giant statue appears from under Link. It's like the hugest one. The biggest, hugest. Scary, flappy mouth goddess statue. She's still got that uh, ventriloquist dummy mouth thing going. And she sings the song of Din's power because it's time for Din's trial. I don't even remember where the spot... Oh, it's right in front of the Earth Sanctuary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
You do the Silent Realm trial. Which covers the entirety of the Elden region, pretty much. Yeah, and you have to slide down the sand slidey bit, like, at least twice, I think. Sure. I had to do it a number of times, uh-huh. freaking out because my timer was running out. Yep. It's very high pressure. Um, the reward is not as great this time. Though it's still pretty neat. You get the fire shield earrings. There was a region in Elden that you couldn't go through because getting through it would set you on fire. But you actually do have to go through it to be able to unlock the trial, I think, because part of the path up has been blocked. That's just to teach you that that region is there and will set you on fire. I like the fire shield earrings because they do that little ching when they're protecting you. And occasionally, like... You'll get shot with fire arrows or something. And you'll be on fire. And you'll be on fire. And then you'll go, oh, shoot, I have to roll. But then your earrings go, ching. And then you're not on fire. Yep. Um, but seriously, the the treasure of your soul, forged from the power of Din, left behind by Hylia, is a pair of earrings. That's just the Gorn tunic. Yeah. Yeah. What do you want? They're nice earrings. I wanted more than Sorry, that. earrings that keep you from being set on fire <laughs> aren't special enough for you, Cameron. Well... I'm sorry, too, because I have no sense of wonder, apparently. <laughs> They're nice earrings. They're pretty nice earrings. Um, you manage to, with the fire shield earrings, climb up to the volcano summit. That's after crawling through, not crawling, but walking through, like, literal volcano. Yeah, you would be on walls. fire in this area if not for your earrings. Um, there are a lot of cursed monsters around here, including cursed spumes, which are these frog things in lava. That... They just spit curse at you. Uh-huh. I hope you have your goddess shield. Um, and at the top, you run into Gorko. Yeah, Gorko's here still. He's fine with the heat. <laughs> He's a Goran. He don't care. Rocks are resistant to fire type. Uh-huh. That's a fact. <laughs> um, he is a bit confused at these frog mechanisms. There are these... Because on the walls, there are these giant frog heads that have their tongues stuck out. Yeah. And they're they're formed by magic, Gorko confirms. Or, no, Fi confirms. Fi confirms that they're formed by magic, but Gorko already postulated it. Yeah. Um, and for the first few, you can run outside and there's like this little shitty pond with yeah, yeah. water in it. Shitty pond. And you can fill up a bottle. Because and... there's a plaque that says, I'm thirsty, basically. Yes. And you can drop it onto the frog. Pour water on them. And to open two sets of doors. And both you and Gorko walk through. Um, and then you get to the entrance of this giant temple. This giant walled temple. Yep. And there's a giant gate with a giant frog. And this giant frog is giant thirsty. Yeah. And Fi's like, I don't think your bottle's gonna quite cut it. Whew, so before you can go into this dungeon, you have to quest. You have to figure out, what's some kind of thing I could use to carry enough water to make this giant frog happy? Do people automatically think of the, the water dragon's basin? No. No. No, some people wander around for hours before thinking of this. Fi has to... Like, people complain about Fi giving them hints in this game. This particular sequence, nobody has ever complained about Fi telling them what to do. You tromp on over to the water dragon Farron. Lake Floria. And you're like, ma'am, can I borrow your basin? May I please use your bathtub? And she's done with it, so she's like, sure. I won't be needing it again. So Scrapper rushes down. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, God, I forgot this. To collect it. Uh Uh-huh. And you go back up to the sky, 
And then Scrapper's like, okay, where is this going? Oh, down there? Oh, I, I want to beat Link um, to took, show off to Link's look, sword. Look cool for Mistress Fi. Um, but instead of rushing down to the summit, it, he's at the bottom of the, the volcano. And he's like, wait, you wanted to go to the summit? Why didn't you say that in the first place? And Link is like wordless because Link doesn't deign to talk to his servants. <laughs> what? Yeah. Now you have to protect the robot. You have to protect the robot and kill all the monsters that may try to hit it all the way up the mountain. If Scrapper runs into a monster um, that you haven't dispatched, he'll ring a little siren. And then from there, um, the siren will get louder until I think it either burns itself out, out of being freaked out, or just says, I'm going back. Yeah. Anyway, you need to snipe all the Bacoblins with your level 3 bow, which will easily take out any of them in one shot. Now, Monica does not like to use resources, so she will go into the danger range and hit them with her Skyward Strike instead of just shooting them with the bow. No, the reason I got tripped up this time was because there's actually a, like, a couple of Bacoblins hidden from view in one of the parts with like the bridge, and so they got the spring on me. I saw like, you fight that Moblin. There was a Moblin, but there was also two other Bacoblins, and then at least two other Bacoblins. You fought that Moblin from range with your Skyward Strike, and when I said, why are you using your Skyward Strike, you said, I don't want to use my arrows. That was your yeah, word. Yeah, what if you need those arrows later? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, what if you need those arrows later? To, just in case anyone listening doesn't know, a level 3 fully charged bow shot will kill the strongest Moblin in the game in three hits. That's a lot of arrows, Cameron. It most certainly is not. These arrows are hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that come out of the grass and the pots and sometimes enemies. Right, the ones that Pecori leave for you. Yeah, the, yeah, they just love leaving arrows for you. They see you using them and they go, hey, Link's using arrows. We should give him some arrows. <sighs> you, ca- you you managed to escort... Uh, Shitbird. Sh- shipper? Shitbird. Shitbird. All the way to the top. And he dumps the water on the frog, and the gate opens. Gorko wisely says, hey, um, you can go first. Yeah, he's like, I mm, I don't know about this one. Head on in. And it's the fire sanctuary. It's the fire sanctuary. Do we want to keep going? We're covering two dungeons. You think we can cover the fire sanctuary by the end of this episode? Mm. All the, I, absolutely, because the episode doesn't end until you say it does. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. Okay. Part six of five is a beefy one. Here we go. The fire sanctuary symbol seems to be some sort of a flame on top of a a harp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The flame on the harp. And um, there's a lot of very interesting imagery around. Yeah, this this has some motifs that suggest things about the setting. So one of the first images you get um, walking in... Well, the, first of all, uh, let me just describe the sanctuary. It looks like, I'd say like a Hindu temple. It's a little bit hard because there's a lot of different designs, but it definitely is an Eastern looking temple. Sure. And I think more of the um, India region rather than um, Japan or China. Sure. Uh, you walk in and there are a lot of uh, spiky vines everywhere. And these vines have fruit that are water oh yeah you kind of poke them 
and they open up and it's just like this big bead of water the size of Link's head mm-hmm. or bigger. And there are these statues when you first walk in that are owls that are crowned. Uh-huh. The crowned bird statues or crowned bird people is a motif in this entire dungeon. Yes. And we I would like to solve this mystery. Okay. Crystal, what do you make of the crowned bird motif? Well, Hilly is a bird who wears a crown. Uh-huh. Um, the the Skyloftians are all bird people. Mm-hmm. They don't really have a monarchy, but they will. Who built this temple? That's a good question. Yes, that's another question I'd like to that's get answered. The, that, to me, is the real question. What do you make of this temple just on its face, Crystal? So it exists to house Din's flame. Yeah. Uh, did the magma care about Hylia? No. This place was not crafted by the magma. This is most certainly not the magma. In fact, one of the things about the architecture of this sanctuary from the outside is that there are a lot of places that you can't really reach just by walking around. How does the architecture compare to the Earth Temple? It's very different. It's, it's like actually very similar. Oh, is it? Yep. There's dragons, eastern dra- dragons again. Right. We know what you mean by dragons and, for a Zelda game uh, yeah. at this point. And then uh, there aren't demons, but there's a lot of animals. Right. More of the sky variety, I'd say. But especially birds. Yes. But there are places outside of the temple on the exterior sections that would be very difficult to get around just on foot. You can see places in the distance where there are no stairs, but people are plainly supposed to be able to walk. There are some ruined stairs around, too, so it is possible that it's just inaccessible. What I'm getting at is that there's some places that don't have any obvious visual Mm. indicators. Okay, sure. Let's park this, these two questions for right now and explore oh. the fire sanctuary. Oh, goddammit, fine. Uh, the reason we know that this place was not built by the magma is because they're trying to access it and they're having difficulty. They're trying to loot the they're place. They're trying to loot the place. You run pretty shortly into uh, Gold, who is the magma boss. Magma boss, sorry. Boss of the magma. Who talks about um, retrieving the, the legend of the place that says... Ye who seek the entrance to the king's treasure, look for the two statues who face one another. Show bravery and jump into the sleeping statue. That part may be paraphrasing. Right. Um, there's a king here that was responsible for the building of this place. And there's a king's treasure. Yes, a, tre- a treasure belonging to the king. What king? <laughs> That's a very good question. Yes. When do you want to address this question? At the end. Okay. At the end of the dungeon. Do you mean before or after we fight the boss? Because the boss is Girahim phase two. I'd say after. Okay. Or maybe before. I don't know. Okay. Um, There's a lot of different fire designs, but the fires are all like vaguely in the shape of lotuses. Yeah. Running theme in a lot of the dungeons so far. Right. The fire as purity because it has the shape of the lotus flower. Um, what else is there? There there are a bunch of other magmas that you run into that have been tied up by the monsters. Yep. Um, there's silver and bronzy, and you can initially refuse to save bronzy. Yeah. Saying that you're in a hurry. Uh, they all try to fleece you, I think. Oh, like they try to like charge you money? No, they, they promise you rewards and then they're like, ha ha sucker. And then um, immediately run into trouble again. So at some point, um, 
they end up deciding to give you a nice reward, which is the upgraded uh, magma gloves, which allow you to actually dig into the earth. It gives you a whole new traversal method. And you can crawl in like really tight... Monica hates these segments. I hate picturing myself as Link in a little tunnel. And these underground tunnels that are often populated with giant raging stone centipede beasts that you uh-huh. have to hit in the butt. That's actually terrifying. It was terrifying my first time around. It was better after. You didn't like it this time either. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so you can use that to access new parts of the dungeon, so on and so forth. And how is it that you reach the king's treasure? Well, you reach the Bridge of Decision. Oh. And it is a bridge leading into the middle of nowhere. And you look down and you see that there are two statues facing each other. Um, One has its eyes open and one has its eyes closed. Which one is the correct one? The one with its eyes open. Oh, okay. I'm not even sure. I think at some point there's a mention that the one with its eyes open is the correct one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Waking Brother or something like that. Yeah. So you have to make a leap of faith. Yep. Faith and education. Yeah, but mostly faith. And you have to do a skydiving thing down toward the statue that's got its eyes open. And as you fall toward it, a bridge materializes. Yeah, magical flooring. Yeah. And you slide on down, and there are more winged birds down here, and you have to light their torches according to how many wings they have. Uh Uh-huh. Do they also have crowns? Yes, they also have crowns. This is a hall of kings. Yes, this is where the king's treasure is. After you defeat some centipedes, um, you you get the king's treasure, uh, the boss key, which is described as mysterious crystals. But it's gold. They are faintly glowing square crystals. Several are missing. Ah. I think that's part of the description. Oh, okay. Can you pull up a picture of it? It's really just... What are these? (laughs) And what are they meant to convey? Mysterious crystals. Please show it a crystal. Well, I mean, there's not really a lot to show, but let's see here. Hmm. Faintly glowing, several missing. Or actually, here, this is a better image. They appear to just be made of gold, but this is the treasure of the king. Yes. Okay. And the treasure of the king is the key that you use to get into the chamber of the den's fire. Yes. That makes sense as a king's treasure. Access to the divine flame. Yeah. The boss door looks like a castle seen from above. Yeah, it's got the five parapets around it and shit. And the funny thing about it is that when you lay down the, uh, hold on. When you actually insert the key properly, it's in the shape of a key from the original Legend of Zelda. (laughs) So the the king's treasure is just a key. Okay. The key to the the, the castle. The key to the flame that his people guard. Yeah, also to the castle. And you walk into the boss room. And there's nothing there. Well, Kirahim's there. Okay, but I mean, like, this wasn't one of the places that had a specific thing set up to fight yes. Link. Yes, no, there is a giant mural on the wall. Uh-huh. And it is um, encircled, or um, the pillars of the room are 
a set of really large birds. They kind of look like geese heads, really. Uh huh. All of these are crowned. Right. All these crowned these bird kings. Or queens. Or queens. Sure. I, I, I'm using kings as a. I I know you can't really do it, but kings here is gender neutral. <laughs> I believe what you're looking for is monarch. Monarch. Uh, yeah, I guess. But like, uh, Flame Princess becomes the Flame King. Does she? Yeah. Ooh. It's like that. Uh, and Girahim is looking at it. This mural depicts two gates, two gates of time. One is in the pyramids, in between some pyramids and towers. And that's clearly the gate that was exploded by Impa. Yep. And the other one is in a very forest uh, setting. Yeah, very forest setting. And he's very happy about this. Because it's a clue. He's finally found a clue. Yes. Um, maybe now would be a good time to talk about the actual temple. Let's park Girahim aside. Okay. Girahim, wait a minute. We know you found your clue, but we got to do a motherfucking thing real quick. Crystal, what do you make of this repeated motif of the crowned birds? Well, the figure in between the gates of time on the mural appears to be Hylia. Mm-hmm. That's definitely Hylia. Could you show me? Sure. You, have you got a timestamp? Yeah, forty-eight twenty-four. Frowns all around. It's really easier to see it if you stop and look at it after whipping Girahim's ass, I guess. Yeah. Also, Girahim's really creepy in this sequence. Inappropriate touch. No, just the fact that the way that he talks about Zelda. Yeah. Okay, so, Crystal, I'm sorry. What do, you, you say that you see the figure as being Hylia standing on the mural. How does that contextualize the rest of the temple? I don't know. It's definitely a bird theme. There's some sort of bird kingdom, a kingdom of the birds. People who identify themselves with birds or were birds. I'll tell you what I think. I think that this place was a Rito kingdom. <gasps> I think the Rito. Yes, I think that this is the original home of the Rito, and that they had their own kingdom that they used to guard one of the fires for Hylia, but they're extinct. Why weren't they part of the fight against the demons? They were, and they were wiped out. They're not on the mural. Which mural? There's a mural of the fight. Basically, the intro images. The intro images are the story as passed down by humanity. It is inscribed on the wall where the imprisoned is. I don't know what to tell you, but they were still here. Maybe they didn't participate, but in any case, they were the guardians of the fires and now they're gone. Maybe it had something to do with the fact that they didn't participate in the fighting. Maybe something catastrophic happened to them before all of that, and they couldn't participate in the fight with Demise because they were the first kingdom to fall. Maybe. that I have two theories. But there's a little bit more to this. Okay. That means that the Rito originally came from Elden. Ah, right. Which means that the god of Death Mountain is not the god of the Gorons, it's the god of the Rito. So when Valu and Wind Waker makes the Zora into Rito, he is restoring his own people. Where did the Zora come from? The Zora came from the Old Kingdom, which becomes the New Kingdom when Tetra sails there, which is why Ruto crowns are a relic of that kingdom. Spirit tracks. And spirit tracks, yes. Okay, okay. 
So that's where the Zora originally came from. And the Rito originally came from the Elden region. But here's the other part. We've never been able to reconcile exactly where the Rito came from in Breath of the Wild by placing it on the Accursed Timeline or the Downfall Timeline. Because the Downfall Timeline doesn't really make any allowances for how they could exist. But if we look at it according to the Accursed Timeline with the understanding that they were here at this time, then it's possible that if their extinction took place after Demise was defeated, then with the way that this game ends with Demise being sealed in the past and all evil disappearing from the land, maybe they were simply never wiped out in the Accursed Timeline. Oh, okay. So they survived, and that's why they're in Breath of the Wild. But not in any of the games preceding it. Would you stick around? Okay, sure. <laughs> I mean, this is Death Mountain. Yeah, I would leave Death Mountain if I was bird okay. people, and it we just barely managed to avoid being completely wiped out by demons. We, I, it's and, it's time to move. Okay. And then tens of thousands of years later, you return because you forget. And I think Monica, what's your theory? Uh, I have two theories. They don't tie together quite so well as as Cam's. They don't include the Rito. Okay. Um, to me, the Temple of Crowned Birds and a predominance of red feathered birds is indicative of the Phoenix and the crowned birds being, you know, birds being a symbol of Hylia. Uh huh. It's a temple which. Uh, or a sanctuary that um, t- discusses the rebirth of Hylia. Uh-huh. Um, also, though, the primary crowned birds that you see at the entrance are owls, which are a symbol of Kapora. Yeah, who is a servant of the old gods. A servant of the old gods, but also father to the re- reborn goddess. Oh, I see. So, loosely speaking here, he is the progenitor of the line so you're you're seeing this whole thing as being a monument to the future. Yes. Okay. So the fire sanctuary uses the imagery of birds as monarchs descended from Hylia. Uh-huh. Okay. That's cogent. Yeah. Including Gapora. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um with I Give suppose us- <laughs> the mysterious crystals being the divinity that is carried on through the bloodline. Ah. I don't know. This is going into the symbolism. <laughs> what were you saying, Crystal? I have my own theory. Uh huh. Uh-huh. According to legend, Hyrule was made by the Hylians, who, as we all know, are the closest race to the gods. But also, according to legend, long ago there was a race even closer oh to the god, gods. Oh my god, Crystal, don't. <laughs> and some say these creatures made the Hylians. Oh, sweet god in heaven. When they created the people of Hylia, they simultaneously created a new capital, a city that floated in the heavens. This is the ancient Uka civilization. <laughs> oh no. Where are the Uka during the events of Skyward Sword? They fucked off. The Uka, well, let me rephrase. Okay. okay. Hylia was Uka. Uh huh. <laughs> the magnificence of her prior form. <laughs> the spirits of good and the Uka are one and the same. Hold the fuck up. Are you saying that all of the Uka that we encounter in Twilight Princess are gods? Minor, yes. I keep the stars, the, the Ilya's sun. You, you hit with your claw shot and then hold around and then throw into the abyss. 
Yes, a, a minor deity. Okay, that's it. Much as much as the Koroks are themselves minor deities, I am spirits. I am having so much trouble processing this. Monica, what was your second idea? Okay, I have a second idea. Please, uh, the red feathered. Red feathers Fuck. of the temple and the bird imagery. So the this is a sh- a sanctuary, a shrine to the crimson loftwing as the true symbol of Hylia. The true symbol of Hylia, but perhaps also a celebration of the hero. Mm. So it's a shrine for the hero as much as anything. How do because it, does that mean that it's just supposed to be the crimson loftwing as the king of birds? Possibly. What do you make for in either of your scenarios for the idea that there are so many different species of birds bearing the crown? Um, in this one, it would be that Loftwings are a divine um, spirit. Okay. What? The other one was in that, well, lineage. Sure, but lineage would mean that owls to sparrows to geese to eagles. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You're barely picking up now. I'm not sure, Cameron. Okay. Um, what was your answer? <laughs> my answer? Rito can look like all kinds of birds, especially in Breath of the Wild. The yeah. elder is an owl. And right. Cass is like some kind of parrot. And they're all divine or all no. monarchs. No. This is just like these are statues of the prior kings uh, of okay. or the monarchs. <laughs> the kings and queens who reigned over the Rito are here memorialized. This is the sign and symbol of the covenant that they had with Hylia and that they all oh. died for. The reason the people of Skyloft all look and are named after birds is because they are descended from this very bird kingdom. In the past, they did not just look like owls and sparrows and whatnot. They literally were. So you're saying that humans used to be birds? Yes. Theoretically, I suppose the peoples who made the sanctuary could have been the humans on Earth. We never really established where the humans lived. So you're saying that this might have been a a human kingdom? Yes, only they represent themselves as birds. Or they were birds. And they lived with the the loft wings. If they were birds, it's just Rito. (laughs) Well, because the loft wings are described as like the the utter half of a Uh Skyloftian soul. Oh. Right, so they lived with... So you're saying that originally humans were Rito, but they had their birdness separated from them, oh, and that birdness <laughs> became Loftwings. Yes. Okay. See, you weren't picking up no, on I what was Crystal not was saying. Up on that. Yeah. Now, now we have the whole picture. Um, listeners, listeners, please. <laughs> did you say listeners? At I the same sure time? did. Oh my god. Listeners, please let us know uh, what you think of the fire sanctuary uh-huh. and the crowned bird motif. Which of our ideas do you like best? Do you have an idea that you prefer over any of ours? Is this all some wild bullshit that we just came up with and shouldn't be listened to? I really like my Rito idea, but it's okay if you don't like it. But I like it especially because it accounts for the timeline problem. We're going to have to agree on a particular uh, interpretation of these things before we make the unified timeline. Yeah. I. I like that it uh, reconciles the why do the Rito live in with the Earth God in Wind Waker. I don't think the Rito showing up in Breath of the Wild is actually a problem. Why is that? Well, they just appeared. Why not? Usually we have some idea where folks came from. Well, it's like... Because... Th- they weren't in any of the other games anyway. Rather, I should say... That the Rito up to now are the only ones that have had some kind of explanation 
of their origin. So, okay. And this takes that origin and says that it's just a recreation and we don't need to know their actual origin. They're just people. So just as a clarification, in Wind Waker, you're saying that uh, Valu turned the Rito into... No, turned oh. the Zora into Rito. Oh, okay. How did the Rito turn into Zora? They don't. What are you talking about? The Zora originally come from the Old Kingdom. Mm-hmm. For the place that would eventually become... Mm-hmm. A, a new Hyrule kind of place. Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. So why did Valu turn them into Rito? So because they could not live in the Cursed Sea. And also he wanted to restore his own people. Oh, okay. Okay, I get it. Sorry, that, that was the hinge point. Yes. Also, you broke my pen. Baby, it was cracked all to shit. All I did was pick it up. No, you repeatedly do this to it. Okay, I'm sorry that I broke the little clippy that you don't actually use on your pen. No, there's a crack on it. You've chastised me on the podcast regarding a part of a pen you don't even use. So She's okay. so forlorn looking at this pen right now. <laughs> this poor pen. You broke it, Cameron. I did. I'd break that motherfucker again. Cameron. So was Volvega Valu's grandfather mad because he saw the Gorons as an invading people? Huh. I mean, maybe. that That would be a reasonable reading of it i suppose it's why he ate them yeah i guess <laughs> why not we can park the girahim battle for next episode well i mean the girahim battle's not very long i know but then we'll want to talk about what happens after that oh is there a lot that happens after it let's park the girahim battle for episode seven of five okay well then i guess that i can end this episode with the best version of the girahim fight theme so that works Yay. Yay. We, Where can people send us emails? You can send emails to the Book of Medora podcast Gmail account. Book of Medora podcast at gmail.com. That's Book of Medora podcast at gmail.com. We're almost caught up. We're almost caught up. We also have the question document. Send me, send us more emails. No, Monica wants emails. Me in particular. Yes. Yeah, and if you have questions for Monica, but also for me and Crystal, send them in. <laughs> We need more emails. Of course, by the time they hear this, it might be a bit too late. You guys could quite, you two can put it on your Twitters. Now we do like to email tweets. Um, Question document first or emails? Crystal. Yeah, let's do the, let's do Rawl's question in the question document. Okay. Rawl asks, in Skyward Sword, the Triforce is obtained inside the Silent Realm in Skyloft, a floating island. Do you think there's any relation to this location and the depiction of the Triforce in the Sacred Realm in A Link to the Past, which is also on a floating island? Similarly, does this imply the popular fan theory regarding that the Silent Realm is actually the Sacred Realm itself? What do you think of that theory also? I don't know that the Triforce is inside of a Silent Realm. It is definitely in the Sacred Realm. Well, uh, Rawl is simply referring to the extra-dimensional space that you enter in the Sky Temple. Not necessarily a silent realm, so Right, I'm just saying that I'm not sure if that is a silent realm. No, not necessarily a silent realm, I said, just that extra-dimensional space. Rawl uses the word silent realm here, but that isn't necessarily what's meant. What is meant is not what is written here. Yes. Well, I'm just, as a point of clarification, I it's not established in the game that that extra-dimensional space is a silent realm. Okay. Cameron, get off my back. Never. 
If you want to get pedantic with our listeners, then we're going to fight. No, because that requires... Don't you get it in the Silent Realm? No, the Silent Realm is what you use to unlock the Sky Temple in the first place. Now I want to look it up. Okay. You enter into it in a manner almost identical to the Silent Realms. It's it looks a lot like a silent realm. You do enter it by enter, by shoving the master sword into the ground and projecting your spirit. It is functionally very similar to a silent realm, and I think referring to it colloquially as a silent realm does make sense. What makes you think it's not a silent realm? There are many different weird sort of pocket realms, of which um, the sacred realm is one of them. We don't see any particular guardian things over here. Also, the the sacred the silent realms are realms in Link's head. There is a way for him to access them by driving his sword into certain key places, but Phi is inaccessible here there. And actually, can you look up the the dungeon because I think Phi's with him. I guess that would be a very definitive way to. Sorry, we're still searching YouTube videos. That is the exact same animation as entering a silent realm. Okay. Down to Link turning into like stuff. And he does no manifest he does manifest in his spirit form and he does not have his sword. Okay. So they are qualitatively not undifferent from a silent realm. I will concede this. One might even say it is the silent realm, as it possesses all of the same characteristics. One might say that. So anyway, um I don't remember the Raoul has included a piece of art from Link to the Past depicting the Triforce in the Sacred Realm, but I don't think this actually reflects the Triforce as depicted in-game, where it's just sitting on, like, a shelf that Ganon had. A pretty shelf with curtains. Do I think there is any relation between this location and the depiction of the Triforce in the Sacred Realm and Link to the Past? Yes, absolutely. But I think that it's probably more directly drawn from the rumored sky temple in ocarina of time wasn't the triforce just in a treasure chest uh-huh do you remember that crystal when people kept arguing that there was some way to access the secret sky temple and obtain the whole triforce right even though you know where all the pieces are yeah this has come up more than once on this the book of medora podcast but i think that probably the sky keep is a reference to that specifically now Regarding the popular fan theory regarding that particular Silent Realm being the Sacred Realm itself, yes, absolutely, 100%, no doubt in my mind. It is definitely the Sacred Realm. The reason that it is so concrete to me is that once Link obtains the entire Triforce, it becomes the Golden Land. You actually see the skies turn to gold outside. Wait, you're saying the Silent Realm is the Sacred Realm? Yes, it becomes the Sacred Realm. The realm that is inside Link's mind. It becomes much more than that by him obtaining the Triforce. Link created the Sacred Realm? By accident, yes. Okay. Because once you wield the true force, the merest happenstance or whim can cause enormous changes. Or maybe simply by touching it and gathering all the pieces, he caused the world to crystallize around him and become more real. Hmm. He lent the Silent Realm the concreteness that it needed to be the Sacred Realm in the first place. So the Sacred Realm is a realization of Link's own internal uh, consciousness. Yes. And this is perhaps why his spirit needed to be forged so heavily. Yes. 
so that he could make a place where the Triforce could stand safely. Which is doubly interesting because Link does not get the Triforce in the Accursed Timeline. He is not the one who touches it. He is not the one who creates the Sacred Realm. Hmm. All right. So the only persons we know of who could have created the Sacred Realm in the Accursed Timeline, or if you want, the Demise Timeline, are Zelda at some point, or Impa from the past in Skyward Sword. Mm Mm-hmm. Because she does end the, her... One of the last things she does in the past is tell Zelda that she will guard the Triforce. Which doesn't make a lot of sense eh, depending on how you read time travel. So because the Triforce is obtained uh, in the Silent Realm, a metaphysical space within Link's mind, does this mean when he touched the flames and had the symbol appear on his hands, he was indeed actually obtaining the Triforce, but had not gained oh. spiritual access to it. As if the pieces of the Triforce were within the flames themselves and bestowed upon him through the medium of the sword. Yeah. And he wasn't able to access them until he completed the change of his worthiness. Yeah, I could. Yeah, that's actually really fucking cool. That's really nice. Yeah, I like that. That's a nice place to hide the Triforce. That's a good place to hide the Triforce in fire and then inside the hero. So the Sacred Realm is originally a place that was created by the spirit of the hero. Okay. Yeah, that's fucking sick, Crystal. I like that reading. We did it. We did Yay! it. And thank you, Ral. That that re- that question led to some uh, discussion that helped crystallize one of the cooler parts of the setting. Shall I read the email? Sure. Okay. Uh, this email comes in from Joseph. Salutations, Crystal, Monica, and Cameron. Salutations. After the Zelda cartoon episode, I got to thinking. I've mentioned before that I've not played that much Zelda, so my original understanding of the setting and plot came from that cartoon. I'm an old guy, but never really got into the original when it came out. Gold Cartridge was pretty rad, though. I did play a good bit of Link's Awakening DX, and maybe about half of Link to the Past, and have watched others play large parts of Ocarina of Time and Wind Waker. Your podcast has become my biggest source for Zelda lore clarification because of this. That's really cool. (laughs) That's very cool, and I don't know whether or not I should apologize. (laughs) What I've been thinking about for a while now is the idea of further animated adaptations of the franchise. Hopefully one's more true to the source than what Deke gave us back in the 1980s. This has led to fantasy casting of animation studios who would present these settings in interesting ways. Such as... Avatar The Last Airbender Studio taking on Ocarina of Time. Adventure Time Studio adapting the original Legend of Zelda. Vintage Studio Ghibli tackling Breath of the Wild. Steven Universes creating a Wind Waker short series. A stylized action anime studio, I was thinking like the current Netflix Castlevania series but less bloody, doing a take on Twilight Princess to portray its attempt at maturity. Uh, do you have any ideas for what you'd want to see in an animated Zelda series or movie? The problem with the Ocarina of Time idea is that Avatar The Last Airbender was a complete fluke that only could have been made in that particular time and place with that particular confluence of talent <laughs> and will never be recreated again. Well, see, as proven by the failure of each of its successor series. People like Dragon Prince. Well, are you going to say that people also liked Korra a lot? <laughs> People did also like Korra. I even liked Korra. Until you got further away from it. It's just not... It's no It's no. The Legend of Aang. It's not. Um, but it, there, there, there is one big difference between Ocarina of Time and everything else that studio has put out. 
Ocarina of Time is a complete story. We know what it would have to look like, more or less. Mm-hmm. But, but Crystal, what would you, what are some ideas or what are some things you would want to see, seriously speaking, in an animated Zelda series or movie? Hmm. Let me think about it. Because Vintage Studio Ghibli tackling Breath of the Wild is a very fun idea, if only because in some ways Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind already feels like Breath of the Wild, or Breath of the Wild already feels a lot like Nausicaa. Ghibli, Ghibli, I can't remember the correct pronunciation of that. Anyway, they knew what to do with silence. Yeah. But I know that I want... Uh, the studio that does Skyward Sword to make it a straight up shoujo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It has to with be with the bubbles uh, and hearts. And it has to be like a 1990s style shoujo action series, like say classic shoujo action series Vision of Escaflowne. I was just thinking that. <laughs> yeah, exactly like Vision of Escaflowne. Same intro uh, opening song. Oh, I love Vision of Escaflowne. So good. It could just have the same intro. <laughs> What are some things you'd like, Crystal? You're still thinking? Um, I don't really know animation studios. Well, th- th- don't even think about it in terms of what animation studios you would like. Just like, what would you like the show or movie to be like? I want a, a sitcom made by the King of the Hell people set on uh, Outset Island. Outset Island or, or Windfall Island? Uh, both. Because I think Windfall has all of the, the goofier characters. Crystal, what is this? What are you doing? What, you don't like King of the Hill? I love King of the Hill, but I don't know that I love King of the Hill for the same reasons that I love Zelda. Well, right, I'm not saying, like, this isn't going to be an adventure series. Okay. It's going to be a situational comedy. So it's sort of like Deke's Zelda series, but good. Yes. (laughs) Oh, goodness. I see. Now, the the town people of Windfall are hilarious. Yeah. There are the gossipy old women... There's the gothy, angsty person who likes to stare at the moon. Yeah. There's the photographer person who is in a dalliance with another of the older ladies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the very rich, nice teacher and the shit kids. Oh, those shit kids. The, right, there's enough there for a situational comedy. The killer bees. Yeah, you've got more material to work with than a setting like Seinfeld, for instance. But, I mean... I'd- Greatly appreciate a series involving a different Link in Zelda, I suppose. Don't just recreate the game. The game's going to be better. Ironically, I think that Breath of the Wild and its storytelling gives us the best template for what a good Zelda movie would look like. Because it would be something like, again, Nausicaa, where you're dealing with the fallout from events that happened long ago in the past. Hmm. And that's the kind of story that you could theoretically tell in like two hours and still have it feel whole and cogent and like it has something to say. The memory flashbacks would be neat too. Just have more of them. I would want Link and Zelda traveling together for if it was a movie. Like a post Breath of the Wild game? No, not a post thing. Like travel together to defeat Ganon. Oh, oh, okay. That's what I would want. I, I like... I don't want, if we're having an animation thing and we can just say what ideas we would like to see, then I would want Link and Zelda traveling together and mutually solving problems. Don Bluth makes Majora's Mask. That is an idea. <laughs> oh, are we talking like uh, Rockadoodle Don Bluth or uh, an American Tale Don Bluth? Uh, I, I think a little, maybe a little closer to the secret of Nim. Ooh. Oh, okay, that would be interesting. What would that movie look like? 
it'd be weird and weirdly like horny. Was Secret of Nim weirdly horny? Uh, maybe not that one. I know a lot of Bluth movies were. Oh, I don't remember. I haven't watched Bluth movies since I was like eight, which is saying something because I'm much older than some of our listeners. Uh, but yeah. The funny thing about the Adventure Time comparison is that early Adventure Time episodes already kind of were Legend of Zelda episodes. Wasn't the Master Sword on the wall at yeah, that point? Yeah, basically. But Adventure Time felt a lot like what that Zelda cartoon could have been back in the day. Like it was taking certain elements from both Captain N and The Legend of Zelda, but instead it was good rather than bad. Still making that Zelda anime for Netflix? That's never been a real thing. You don't think so? No, I think it's never been real. Like, every single rumor about that turned out to be false, right? I don't think it was ever disproved. <laughs> uh, that You don't have to disprove a rumor. They're, I know they're making, the Castlevania people are making an Assassin's Creed anime. Oh boy. I hope they finish with Castlevania first. Yeah, that's coming out like next week. Oh, is it? does it have more episodes? Yeah, next week. No, no, no. But I mean, does it have more than three? Yeah, it has eight. Oh. They're finishing season one. Oh, fucking sick. Okay. Oh, we got something to watch for next week. This is going to be great. That's a good-ass lead-up to Halloween. I love that Castlevania cartoon. That Castlevania cartoon was a good movie. Yeah. I like the part where Trevor hit Alucard with the whip, and Alucard goes flying as if he's been hit by a semi-truck. Yeah. It's really good. Anyway, there's many different directions that they could go in for a Zelda animated thing. The big thing is that we want it to be good. Good is the biggest part of what we ask, I think. Oh, we should read this one. Okay, do it. Charlotte writes in, Hi guys, I was just listening to an old episode of yours, the one for Oracle of Seasons. That was before my time. Uh, was it? Season, you, you did Seasons first before Ages, right? I thought that you... Did you only come in on Ages? Uh-huh. That's correct. Oh, okay, this is the last non-Monica episode. <laughs> when comparing Sabrosia and Termina... Crystal asserted that Termina is where the demon tribe came from, and Cam said he would challenge this idea again when the Skyward Sword episode came around, but he would probably forget, as he do. Well, here's your reminder. Thanks for reading. Love, Charlotte. Thank you, Charlotte. Thank you, Charlotte. Thanks, Charlotte. Crystal, I think you've mostly abandoned this idea. I thought we had canonized this idea. <laughs> I beg your fucking pardon. In our Interlopers episode. No! What are you talking about? I, I do think... That the, the interlopers came from Termina, and the interlopers are, of course, relatives of the demon tribe. But I thought we had decided that the interlopers were the demon tribe, and that the, yes. the king that Midna refers to being lost was Demise. Yeah, okay. But still, what makes you think they came from Termina? Like, we've gone past the point where you... I thought you had given up this idea that Termina is literally a subterranean kingdom beneath Hyrule. No, I never gave up that. <laughs> Crystal, it never made any sense. <laughs> Why not? Because we, one, we agreed that the Lost Woods is an interdimensional place that connects to many different worlds. And, okay, sure. And that Link falling down a hole and ending up in another world doesn't mean that that world was at the bottom of the hole. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean that, no, but in this case, it was true. But he falls down and goes through all the weird timey-wimey, psychedelic bullshit as he falls, and you just go, yeah, that's a hole. Oh, yeah, no. The term that absolutely has its own metaphysics, uh, as it is governed by the goddess of time. Uh-huh. Who's not Hylia. Who is Hylia, but go on. Hylia is a goddess of time. She's not the goddess of time of Termina. She's the goddess of time as summoned by the Ocarina of Time and the Song of Time. 
The goddess of time is the owl. The so- goddess of time is not the, the... The owl is just... The owl who recognizes you across cycles? It's Ka- I think that's the goddess of it's time. It's Kapora Gabora. That's not Rauru. No, no it's... it's Kapora. It's Gapora. As in the first Zelda's father. Kapora Gabora is Rauru's father. Where were we? <laughs> were we talking about Sabrosia? Okay, so you agree that Termina is a completely separate dimension which occupies a different physical space. Uh, let's say halfway between that idea and it literally being under Hyrule. In the Majora's Mask <laughs> episode, you agreed that time flows differently in Termina as compared to in Hyrule. Oh, absolutely. Now, like, time passes much faster in Termina than in Hyrule that we're aware of. Yeah, I think that's that cannot be argued. Okay, so in, the sa- in that sense, at least a little bit, it is wildly separate from Hyrule. At least in that way. Well, let's say it's temporally separate, but not physically separate. Why is it temporally separate, but not physically separate? Well, it's kind of like the world of the Ocean King. But the world of the Ocean King is physically separate unless the door is opened. Right, unless the door is opened. Right. Which means you can travel to it. But that the Temple of the Ocean King isn't on the physical ocean of the Great Sea. It can be accessed from there, but that's not where it is. It's a part of the Great Sea that the Ocean King coraled off to himself. No. He did not set up a cloud barrier. It's an entire world. Uh, no, I don't think it's big enough to be called an entire world, except that it is. <laughs> except that it absolutely is. It's like, it's it's a couple a couple of those squares of the ocean. Yeah, you just don't sail past it because Bellum will kill you. Crystal, why do you think that it's... It, 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 so, it's your idea that the... Okay. So we agree that Termina is a separate space, sort of, but you insist that it is also underground. So what you're really saying is that Termina is its own separate universe, even a small pocket universe, that also happens to have its only connection to Hyrule being through a tunnel to the underground in the Lost Woods. Oh, no, I think you can make other tunnels through the dome. What? Are you saying that the sky in Termina is the firmament? Like the sky and the moon, yes. Crystal, I wish I could take a photo. I guess I could take a photo. Don't you take a fucking photo. I swear <laughs> you, okay, is the moon, I have a the, shampoo is the moon sky a real sky, Cameron? No, because the moon is its own separate reality, too. Right, like Termina. Yes, its own separate reality. It's not underground. The magma can't dig to Termina. Well, like the moon, you can physically go inside its mouth and end up in this separate space. Yeah, because that's where the door is. Right, that's what I'm saying. No, because what you're suggesting is that the magma could dig to Termina. Yes, they can make their own door. No! This is when you get, like, the immovable object. No, it is not. Don't you pull this equivalency bullshit with me. Not today. No, Cameron, you will good faith argument anything. Yeah. <laughs> Why? I think I assume Crystal is also arguing in good faith. I am. So this is what I believe terminates. No, 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 no. It is a separate universe governed by the goddess of time, and it doesn't matter if it's highly or not for the sake of this conversation. Okay. Okay. You know the ending of Men in Black, when the aliens are playing with the marble. I swear to like fucking a, God. Right, the marble is a physical thing, right? You can hold it. 
but it also contains its own universe. And if you were to take a, a, a very sharp needle and poke into the marble and went in, and you shrunk yourself down, you could go into it. So you're saying it's like that Perry Bible Fellowship comic where an astronaut goes through a time vortex and crash lands on his own helmet. Yeah, kind of like that. Okay. No. What, how to, explain to me how that works for Termina in particular. Well, I don't think it's exactly the way Termina works. So why do you assert that the demon tribe came from Termina? Is it just it came from- that Termina is underground? It's mostly that. Okay. But even aside from that, what evidence in there is there in Termina that Demise used to hold sway there? Do you think that the giants could possibly live in a world full of these evil creatures? Because the giants, as great and powerful as they are, could not walk around in Termina without running afoul of Demise in the old days. He was busy building the tower. Okay, so you're suggesting that the Stone Tower Temple was built by the demon tribe of Skyward Sword. Yes. Why would... Or, if not literally them, then close relatives slash descendants slash ancestors. Okay, why would the demon tribe, the seat of all wickedness in the universe, feel any need whatsoever to seal away the Mask of Majora? Competitor. Competitor? You think that Demise... The font of all darkness looks at a mask which has no will of its own until it's filled up with hatred and goes, Nah, that thing right there, that's too much. Sure. No. I think that if De- if Demise had access to an artifact that grew more powerful the more evil is poured into it, he'd be wearing it right now. Demise was told, told stories by his mother to not mess with the mask. You're suggesting that Majora's mask is older than Demise. Yes. Crystal, I'm not sure you're arguing in good faith anymore. Oh, I'm not. I don't have an exact timeline of this planned <laughs> out. I'm just trying to brainstorm here. You realize we're going to have to agree on this, at least to some degree, enough to write it all down when we do the actual timeline episode. Yes. I don't I'm I I don't know if I can sign off on any interpretation that implies that the Termina is where the demon tribe came from. Why are there humans in Termina, Crystal? It's been a while. Did, did they just spring up out of the fucking ground? Well, where, where else did humans come from? Well, if they came out of the ground, does that mean that the humans are the demon tribe from Termina's perspective? Kids who fell into the Lost Woods. But wouldn't they... Like, did they have like a just a fucking conga line going into it? <laughs> because of the way that time passes in Termina, they would have all died before anyone else came along. Thank you for your uh, email, Charlotte. No, we ain't done yet. <laughs> The Deku tree wasn't always there to keep people out. Oh, mm, mm, what are you saying? Well, oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here okay, we go. Okay. Yeah. Go. Defend this. Refugees from the war. That's what we always come back oh, to, right? Shit. It's such a strong argument. I can't. God damn it. Oh, that's good. I got to think about that. Refugees from the war. Wait, hold on. That doesn't make any fucking sense. They're refugees from the war, so they flee back to the demon's house? If you said that the demon tribe was not of Termina, then yes, this explanation for where humans and Zora and Gorons came from in Termina would make perfect sense. Refugees from the original war. But that's not what you're saying. You're saying this is where the demons came from. Right, they all left. So under this, does that mean the Garrow and... 
Under this, does that mean the Garo and the um, Deku? Or maybe the just Deku the Garo scrubs. are the original peoples of Termina? The Akana people? Yeah. The Garo or Sheikah sent from, from Hilia. Right. Um, no, is that what we decided? I thought that maybe the Garo had attempted to attack the Hylians. Or, and the Sheikah had responded in kind. Wait, the Garo are the ones from a foreign nation, right? Who attacked Ikana? Um, actually, I can't remember. We need to listen to our own podcast again. Yeah, because we talked about this at length in episode two or three of Majora's Mask. You remember when Majora's Mask being a three-part episode was like, whoa. Yeah. Wild. Well, we had a much more business-like way of going around it with a lot less theorizing. It's a lot like how timeline discussions were back when Ocarina of Time was the last game to come out. The interconnectedness of all the different titles wasn't really as important at the time. I think I dragged things out. That's okay. We were getting slower before you showed up. Not quite this bad, but, you know. <laughs> Part six of five. Part six of five. So you're going to hold to this, that the demons come from Termina. Yes, I, have, I haven't worked out all of the exact details for the timeline, but generally, yes, I subscribe to it. Okay, um, listeners, somebody send me a reminder whenever we get around to doing the, oh, I'll say once we start in again on Breath of the Wild, send me a reminder to talk to Crystal about this before we get in on the timeline, because this shit has to be resolved before we make the Book of Medora take on the full timeline. Send in your own theories on Termina and the demon no tribe. you're creating too much bias toward the idea that they're related to each other yeah send an email telling me why i'm wrong uh, or why she's right yeah send in more emails these two were definitely a font for good discussion though thank you charlotte and thank you joseph these were our last two that's we're we're done we're finished with the emails for right now if we don't have any emails next week we may not do a, que- a question section and that's terrible. Nah, it's fine, really. We, we didn't have it for the first few episodes. Where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter, at CamWriter. You can find me at ArcaneCrystal on Twitter, ArcaneCrystal on Patreon, on the Let's Plays podcast on AudioEntropy.com, where we scientifically and objectively rank every video game according to quality, on MCU Complete Me, uh, the podcast where we watch every Marvel movie and decide if they're good or bad. We just did Venom. It's pretty good. What comes after Venom? Oh, Venom was a bonus episode. The next episode will be Ant-Man. Oh, okay. That's cool. When Ant-Man, once you do Ant-Man, you get to Ragnarok pretty soon, right? This is f- several movies between. Oh, okay. I, I kind of forget. But it. Ant-Man is the end of Phase 2. Oh, okay. The next movie after that will be Captain America 3 Civil War. Okay, cool. Um, Can you believe Black and- Panther only came out six months ago? Yeah, it came out February of this year. Yeah. That's eight months ago. That's what I'm saying is Black Panther was this year. It was this year. It's been a long year. It's been a long year. Uh, If you're in America, vote, I guess. Please vote. Voting's important. And if you want to listen to this podcast early, Crystal, can you do that through Patreon? Yeah, you can do that through Patreon with a mere $2 per month. That seems like a deal. Also, probably the next episode of Let's Place Let's Place will be uploaded by the time you hear this. Who all's on Let's Place Let's Place? Uh, That episode will contain Frankie and Jordan, I believe. That's a strong lineup. Uh, 
Also, our, our podcast art was done by Tor Kirby. We haven't said that in a while. That's true. It was made by Tor Kirby. Give Tor Kirby money to make art for you at torkirby.com. Are you ready for a Zelda joke? I'm never ready for a Zelda joke. This comes from northcastle.co.uk slash guild slash humor with a U slash zjokes.html. I like the North this Castle. Jo- this joke was posted by Hoefkin at aristotle.net. Oh, Jesus. Link was on his way to slay Ganondorf when Zelda asks, are you going to kill Ganon with the Master Sword? And Link says, no, I'm going to use my mirror shield to show how ugly he is. <laughs> I'm glad that we could all sandbag that. Just, I'm going to have to insert the silence so that people can hear it, but holy hell. Oof. That, mm, I, mm, I feel bad about making fun of it, so I won't.